Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We haven't talked to Jordan on this on this yet, but moving forward, Robert and, and Jordan have to they are, and they're becoming more and more the alpha males. But the game is trending towards that. I, I think Kairou, you saw what he did last year. He needs to be a top player for us to be a top franchise. Mm-hmm. The question might be, well, why why Robert before Jordan? Like mm-hmm. the old analogy, like how do you get the horses back in the barn one at a time? Mm-hmm. So we got one horse back in the barn, and now we'll go to work on some of these other guys. It's breaking news in the NHL for your St. Louis Blues alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio was Doug Armstrong, Blues president of hockey operations right after the blues signed robert thomas to an eight-year deal worth 65 million dollars and they have given the exact same contract to jordan Cairo today according to the blues team website the blues have signed jordan Cairo to an eight-year deal again worth 65 million dollars this will keep jordan Cairo in st louis through the 2030 2031 season alex jordan Cairo is 23 years old He is coming off a year in which he scored 27 goals and had 75 points in the season. He was a legit point per game producer. He played in 74 games, had 75 points in the playoffs. It was a bit up and down for him, but he finished the playoffs with pretty darn good stats. Overall ended the postseason with seven goals and nine points in 12 games. I like the deal. I said all along, I don't think that there's any chance that you can get Jordan Cairo to sign for less than what you signed Robert Thomas to. I think that worst case scenario, this is a guy that is a 25 plus goal scorer per year. He's going to consistently give you 70 plus points. Are there defensive liability issues that you have to work out? Absolutely. But this is the exact kind of player that I would want to sign to a long-term extension. I think it's the right move. I'm glad that they got this done. Where are you at on it? It's absolutely the right move. I, I think when, when you when you found out you weren't going to acquire Matthew Kachuk and he was not going to be a member of your team, this move had to be done. You had to lock up Jordan Cairo because you're establishing the core of your roster. And the core of your roster is now Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, Pavel Buchnevich, on the forward side build from there but that's your core piece because those guys are locked up for at least the next five seasons 
Jordan Cairo showcased that he was a dynamic player last season. He was offensively gifted in the playoffs for your team. He scored you 75 points. He was the fastest skater in the National Hockey League. And for a while there, he was the guy that everyone was talking about in the NHL. And then it dipped off. The defensive side of things started to be a little bit of a concern for Jordan Cairo. But it was his first full season as a member of the St. Louis Blues. So you understand there are growing pains there. So this was a deal that had to get done. It makes sense that he's up to the exact same deal as Robert Thomas, which was the same thing that happened last season when they did the entry or two years ago when they did the entry level contract. And I think what you're seeing in the NHL right now, what the Blues just did, is exactly what the Ottawa Senators did last week with Tim Stutzel. You are paying in hopes that he outperforms what money you're giving him. So you're giving him $8 million for the next eight seasons. You're hoping that he is better than an $8 million player for the next eight seasons. Yeah, you believe you're buying low. Yeah, I mean, Tim Stutzel, honestly, it's it's very similar between Stutzel and and Jordan Cairo. The only difference is Cairo had a couple of NHL years pro experience before they gave him that contract. Tim Stutzel played last season, 79 games. It was the first full season the year prior when he was drafted third overall, played 53 games at 29 points. The next season, he bumps it up 58 points to 79 games. They give him a long-term contract because they said, we believe you are a core piece. The Blues just did that with Jordan Cairo and say, we hope that you outperform the $8 million you're making. Yeah, I, I like this contract, too, and you mentioned that that core piece for Stutzel, and this essentially locks up the new, I don't know if you want to call it the new core, but the next phase of the cup window for Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues. Having Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo on the same contract, you know what those guys are going to be making, then you are hoping that he ends up exceeding this, and if the cap ends up going up and taking off in the next handful of years, this could end up being a really good steal for the St. Louis Blues, because I think he is going to have a better year, a more complete, rounded year for the St. Louis Blues. I think he'll be better defensively in terms of not being as much of a defensive reliability because it is that second year in the Craig Ruby system. And that's why I also believe now that he's played it one full year, you're not going to see that dip last year because but before the All-Star break, he was a point-per-game guy with 42 points in 40 games and 17 goals. So I think right there that showed you what Jordan Cairo is, potentially a point-per-game guy. So I like this contract extension. I've, I've said it from, I think it was day one of last year, where I think Jordan Cairo has the potential to be as good as Vladimir Tarasenko was in his prime. So I I think this is a really good deal and could end up being a steal for the St. Louis Blues. I'm going to give you a list real quick, Alex. You tell me how many of these players you would sign to the contracts that the Blues just gave to Jordan Cairo if they were also 23 years old and you were buying at that point in their respective careers. Okay. Okay. You tell me where you uh, how many of these guys you would do that for. And then I will tell you at the end of this what this list is. Tyler Sagan. Yes, I mean, Tyler Sagan at the age that Jordan Kyra was, I absolutely would have given that deal. Right now, no, but sure, yes. But I'm saying at, at the age of 23, yeah. you're getting the prime of his his career. Absolutely. You go back to that point in his career. Tyler Sagan, yeah. yes. Honestly, very comparable players. Johnny Gaudreau. Yes. yes. Mark Shifley. Yeah. Nikita Kucherov. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Matthew He's Kachuk. on a steal of a deal. Yep. Braden Point. Yep. Mitch Marner. Yep. Leon Dreisaitl. Yep. Alex Dabrinkit. Yep. Alexander Barkov. Yep. Sebastian Ajo. Yep. Nathan McKinnon. Yep. Austin Matthews. Yep. Jack Eichel. Yep. Assume he's healthy and he's 23. David Posternock. Yep. Connor McDavid. Yep. Jason Robertson. Yep. He might get that deal. Those are the, that is the entire list of players in the last decade that were Jordan Kyrou's age 
that scored at least 20 even strength goals and had 75 points in an individual season. That's the entire last decade. Every single player that met that criteria at or before their age 23 season, you would be willing to give this contract to. And that's why you had to do it. If you're the Blues, this is the list that Jordan Cairo's agent probably gave them and said, hey, my client just did what all of these guys did over the last decade. If you're going to sign this guy, I'm going to need a contract that's comparable to those players. And if you're going to do this before he actually reaches unrestricted free agency, when he could be bid upon by all of the league, I'm going to need you to probably give a little bit more than you're comfortable with. The Blues probably wanted something closer to like seven and a half million dollars per year. They probably said, hey, we'll comp you to the Tarasenko deal. And his agent said, yeah, but that deal was six years ago. I'm not giving my client that kind of money six years later when the cap has increased and is expected to spike once again. I understand there are questions with Jordan Cairo. I have questions about Jordan Cairo and his fit long term, his defense, all of those different things. And we'll get into all of that throughout this upcoming season. But if you're the Blues, it's a move you had to do, and it is a bet that was worth making because everybody else that reaches this kind of a ceiling this early in their career goes on to be an all-star caliber of player. Yeah, I mean, look, you again, you had to get this deal done because I, I, I put these two players on the same page in terms of if you want Matthew Kachuk, you're not going to keep Jordan Cairo. And you didn't get Matthew Kachuk, so you have to keep Jordan yep. Cairo. And look, the, that's what these guys are getting paid. Alex DeBrinkett is probably going to get paid like this, if not more, after his one season with the Ottawa Senators. I just mentioned the Tim Stutzel. Now, if we can be honest with each other, it makes me a little nervous. I, I mean, anytime it didn't make me nervous when Robert Thomas got paid that money. Because I had seen it with Robert Thomas two years ago, the year after they won the Stanley Cup, he had 66 points in 82 games and you could tell the potential was there. The next season, it was tough because he hit injuries. We were all talking about trading him, but he rebounded and had a superb season. He deserved that money. Not saying that Jordan Cairo doesn't deserve the money because last season or I'm sorry, two years ago was a good season for Jordan Cairo. But you had one season where he played like an eight million dollar player. And that is a really tough bet to put on a young guy who did struggle on the defensive side. Now, all that being said, I trust Craig Berube in the development of this coaching staff to take a player who is who has shortcomings on one side of the ice and really good on the other and mix it together, especially when you look at the leadership in that locker room of Shen and O'Reilly and Saad and Buchnevich. Kyra is going to be growing with the right types of people. But for $8 million, I mean, you have to perform like an $8 million player for the next eight seasons, because if you don't, if you perform like a second line winger, you're putting your team in a spot to where they can't add like this is the core of the team. So any anybody gets signed to a contract is going to be nervous about that money. But one season makes it even more nerve wracking, in my opinion. So I guess here would be my follow up question to that. What's the downside? Like, uh, barring injury, and injury we could say with every player. But the downside to Jordan Kyrou is is what? Like, if he doesn't live up to this contract in your mind, it, it looks like what? The downside is he reverts back to a 50-point player a season. And he's a guy who should not be playing in your number one line. You're would, signing him to be a top-line player. I would be shocked. If he is a 50-point player, absolutely flabbergasted 
by by such a development this upcoming season. Like I, I think what we saw last year, I mean, he had 50 assists last season. If you put him on a line with other guys that can put the puck in the net because of his ability to create offensively, I think this is a guaranteed locked in 70 point per year type of a player. Now, if you've got questions about the defense, I, I'm totally with you on that. That's a fair concern in my mind. The reason why I don't think there's a whole lot of downside in this contract for the Blues is that in a worst case scenario, if you decide those defensive liabilities are too much for you to handle here in St. Louis when you're trying to win the way that this team always is, you can always trade this kind of a contract. Always. There will always be another team that is willing to take on a 70 point per year type of producer that, hey, the worst thing that you can say about him is eh, there are lapses defensively. And oh, by the way, he's going to get put butts in the seats because he is incredibly entertaining to watch. And he is a highlight reel on the ice on a night in, night out type of a basis. If this thing goes south for the Blues, to me, the way that it goes south is he's not a defensive player that you want to have on the ice. Craig Burby doesn't trust him in late game situations. He continues to play 16 minutes per game. And he's a guy that scores a bunch of points but at the end of the year we're looking at saying is that the reason is that the spot as to why the blues are not contending for a cup right now and then they decide to trade him two three four years down the road yeah I but, think that's the downside in my mind but that might be too little too late if you have to get to that point because i, I mean you know I, I hate to do this because you don't want to be debbie downer with this but you do have to look at all the variables here and this might keep the blues from keeping ryan o'reilly and if you do go that route, you are basically saying we will live and die with Cairo, Thomas, and Buchnevich. Mm-hmm. That's what you're making the bet on. And the name, the players that you listed off at the beginning with all of those comps to Jordan Cairo, the difference between Cairo and those players are those players are all really good defensively. They're players that are dependable defensively. And again, to bring it's not. I mean, Debrinket's a guy that's playing late in games, though. He's playing on the top line. He's playing on your penalty kill at certain because times. Because he was for in you. Chicago. Like, if he was here, he definitely I think wouldn't. It, I think he'd be doing it with Ottawa, too, though. I just, you're going to be looking at Jordan Cairo and saying, you are the face of this franchise with Robert Thomas. I think Thomas. he's Johnny Gaudreau. Like, I think that's what he is. And I got to be honest with you, I know a lot of people in Columbus are excited about Johnny Gaudreau. It make me a little nervous. I mean, it's a lot of money in a situation where you have to figure out where that money is going to be divvied out to make sure you can keep certain players on your roster moving forward. Because if you lose Ryan O'Reilly, now your focus truly is, all right, you are the new leaders of this roster moving forward. And to keep that window open, we need you to be at the top of your game. Goudreau is also making almost $10 million as opposed to this, which is 8.1. I'm with Goudreau you. also like, had a 115-point season. If Kyrou does that this season, oh, steal. And I'm not saying he's ever going to do that, but I think he has the potential to. Like, it shouldn't shock anybody if at some point in Jordan Kyrou's career, he finishes the season with 100 points. I, I'm... I know that sounds outlandish to say right now, but the guy had 75 points last year and he's a 23 year old player who we believe to be on the ascent. So I I just, I look at this list and I'm with you. Are there guys on this list that do have a better all around game than Kairou? Yeah. I would say there's also a, a decent number of players that are pretty similar in terms of the game that they bring to the table as uh, in terms of what they bring compared to Jordan Kairou. The other thing is just like, I think eight years from now, we're going to look at this as a steal, kind of like we did before all of the injuries hit for the Vladimir Tarasenko deal, because the cap is going to start rising again in the not too distant future by year five, six and seven of this deal. When he's 25, 26, 27 years old, 
I think you're going to start looking at this saying, damn, I'm so glad that the Blues have him under contract for $8.1 million. Alex, let's go back eight years from now, for example. The salary cap was $69 million. It is now 82, and it should be significantly higher than that if not for the pandemic. If you go, so let's go to the pandemic year, 2020. It was $81.5 million was the salary cap. Eight years prior to that, the salary cap in the NHL was at $60 million. That is a $20 million increase, a 25% raise in the salary cap in an eight-year stretch. If it does that same type of a bump over the next eight years, by the end of this contract, you're going to be looking at Jordan Cairo and saying he makes $8 million of our $100 million salary cap. Man, having him and Thomas and Buchnevich potentially on long-term deals at that point is going to look like an absolute steal for this team. So I, I think that it was smart for them to get him locked up long-term right now while they can, and they're buying low on what they believed to be a potential franchise player. And again, like I said earlier, worst-case scenario, if this doesn't work out, I think what it looks like is you've got a player that you can't trust offensively, and you potentially have to trade him. But there's always going to be a team that's willing to take on an Alex Debrinkit they'll be willing to take on a Jordan Cairo as well. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to talk this over with Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for The Athletic. But coming up next, last night was an all-time blunder for the Broncos. The hell were they thinking? You just gave that guy $45 million per year. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Clock at 58, 57, 56, Denver three timeouts, gain of nine, fourth and five coming up. From the Seattle 46. You got three timeouts, see. I might use one right here, E. Let's use no one. Doubt. Let's talk about this one. Let's talk about this one. It looked unsettled. Why are we running 15 seconds off the clock before you call that timeout? They're going to bring out the field goal unit, and Brandon McManus is going to try a 64 yard field goal. They're going to kick it. Kick what? Hold on. 63 yarder. What? A 64 yard field goal try by Denver to take the lead. You got this. Started at the right up right. Ball put down. Right footed kick is away, and it is no good. Wide left. I told him to start it at the right up right, and it'll hook right in. Oh, he did. He didn't start it enough. It's got to be out. Peyton, that's the old golf yeah. shot. You got to start it about four balls outside the hole. I'm speechless. <laughs> I can't believe they took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands to kick a 64-yard field goal to try to win this game. That audio courtesy of Westwood One and ESPN. That voice you heard was Shannon Sharp trying to understand what in God's name he was watching last night as the Broncos completely fumble away the end-of-game situation. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford about the Blues re-signing, extending Jordan Kyrou long-term to an eight-year deal worth $8.125 million per season. That's coming up in about 10 minutes or so but Alex I'm still trying to understand what we witnessed last night first of all if you're in a survivor pool there's a good chance that you're kicked out of your survivor pool right now 40% of participants are now out of their survivor pool based on the Colts tying that game against the Texans the Denver Broncos losing yesterday and the Cincinnati Bengals also losing against (laughs) the Steelers that might be me not good so you've got that on one hand last night at the end of the game 
I, I, I can't believe what they did. You got a third and 15, Alex, with a minute 15 to play. The Broncos decide to run a swing pass in that spot. I've got no issues with the play. The play design, the play call, it was fine. He's tackled at the 46-yard line of the Seahawks, so you're on the plus side of the 50. There is 1.05 to play when he is taken to the ground. You have three timeouts left. The Broncos opt not to take a timeout in that spot. Again, that's okay. You can do that if you'd like to, but you got to go for it then on fourth and five, or you kick it away. Because if you decide to punt it away or kick the field goal, you at least in that spot still have your three timeouts. You can potentially get the ball back if you just, if you end up getting a stop there. They do none of the above. They let the playcock run all the way down. Then finally, with 20 seconds left on the play on the game clock, they finally call a timeout. So you got the worst of wor- both worlds now. If you decide to kick the field goal and you miss, now you only have two timeouts. You can't get the ball back. If you decide to go for it, you don't get it. Now you, again, give the ball back. You got two timeouts. You can't get the ball back. That's the situation the Broncos place themselves in. You got to make a bet on either your kicker's leg or Russell Wilson's arm. They decide not to go with a guy that they paid $250 million in the offseason and gave up a boatload of picks to be able to acquire four spots like that against teams like that. Alex, what happened? How is that the decision that the Broncos made last night? I'm glad you painted that picture for me again because I was pissed off last night watching it, and now I got even more angry, so appreciate that. But you're not only betting on Russell Wilson's arm versus their kicker's leg, but you're also betting on Russell Wilson's legs and ability to run out of the pocket and get a first down. It made absolutely zero sense. And honestly, Hackett's job should be up for consideration at this point. And I know I'm being too forceful there because it was, what, the first game for him. But I don't know what you're doing in that circumstance because you not only put all that money towards Russell Wilson, but you have a great offense in front of you that you didn't utilize. I mean, it wasn't that play that was the biggest question mark of the game. I was watching Peyton and Eli the entire night, and they were questioning a lot of the play calls by the Denver Broncos, running the ball at circumstances where they should be throwing the ball, throwing the ball when they should be running the ball. It just felt like they didn't know what they were doing. And I thought Peyton and Eli said it best, like the 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 moment felt too big for him which should not be being said about Russell Wilson for $250 million and that team that we all thought could compete for a championship this season for how good they looked on paper. But to end the game that way, to where you could have just gone for it, and you know what? Maybe you don't convert, and maybe you lose the game to Seattle there. But at least you sit there and say, you know what? They were aggressive, and they went for it, and they're going to be fine. Also, you can't call time out there. No. Even if you... The better scenario there, and this is also a bad one. You go for it with time still. Or or you let the play clock run down, and then you take a delay of game to be able to get yourself set up. Like, it's a bad decision. Don't get me wrong. It is a better decision empirically than taking the time out there because, again, you give yourself another out. Alex, you're a poker player, right? You need outs. You need opportunities for you to find a way to win. That's what you're trying to count is how many outs do I have here in this game? Well... The Broncos gave themselves one out. Either you make the field goal and you maybe win the game, or 
you miss the field goal and you definitely lose it. Those are the only two ways that that game could have gone with the way that they decided to manage the late game situation. The whole game was weird. I'm with you. I thought that was likely, though, given what the situation was with Russ going back to Seattle. That was Seattle Super Bowl. I don't think we actually learned a whole lot about either of those two teams last night. I think it was just a super weird game. And we're going to look back on this and we're going to say, man, remember when the Seahawks beat the Broncos and the Broncos went on their only win of the year? Yeah, the Broncos won 10 games and the Seahawks win four. I think that's very much still on the table but last night was a weird one I, I i cannot wrap my mind around the way that they handled that late game situation though that's what's going to stick with me is i hope nathaniel hackett learns from that because if he doesn't that's the type of thing that we will look back upon two three years from now if nathaniel hackett gets fired and it's crazy that we're already talking about this after one game but that's the kind of decision making that he had last night And we'll say to ourselves, we should have known after that game that it wasn't going to work out with Hackett in Denver. He's got to learn from this. And I was going to say, I think Joe Buck and Troy Aikman explained it perfectly last night on the broadcast where it was, you know, typically when you set up a 60-yard field goal, it's because you're just out of time. And and they weren't in that situation. McManus, I think, was one for eight from 60-plus yards last night. Like, yeah, he's got a big leg. It's a different story. His wide. Yeah, yeah. You should have been like, damn it, we're going for it here. That's the thing. The the other part about that, Seattle tried to give them another out. Yeah, people. Yeah. They, called they called it. a timeout, and at that point in time, you've got even more time to be able to go to go to Russ and say, "Hey, I think we got a play here. Do you, do you think we can run this?" And Russ is, of course, going to say yes. He's going to look at you as the head coach and say, "Yeah, I got this, coach." Yeah, I I don't understand the decision making there because I I don't understand how you don't call timeout after, especially when that play call you mentioned it. No problem with that first play call where it's the swing pass that essentially set up to where you can convert on a fourth down. That was not a play to get a first down. That was set up to convert for or set you up to potentially convert on fourth and like medium and they didn't go for it and then they don't take their time out there it it was bizarre and I just don't understand it's a different story if you want to play that way and say it's a 40 yard field goal for McManus or hell even a 50 yard field goal it's a different story but for 60 plus yards and a guy that's one for eight in his career and that's the way you decide to management and you're not in Denver where the altitude will really carry the ball and it's not like he was lacking the distance on it when he kicked it it's just very questionable play calling and I can't believe Nathaniel Hackett would go with such a decision especially because he came from Green Bay and and like we talked about Matt LaFleur, LaFleur, Matt LaFleur as one of the best coaches in the NFL and yet he comes out of that system and now you look at him and you go okay well what the hell is that I don't see Green Bay doing such a thing and they have a top 10 quarterback just like he does with Russell Wilson so I don't know that was very puzzling I am stunned that they still the, did that the most irritating part was the moment when there was 30 seconds left in the play clock and Russell turned to his team and basically said, Hey, we're going to let this wear all the way down and call a timeout. Like he basically told his entire team, like we got 30 seconds, take your time guys, get into formation. We're good. But that's because the coach is talking to but him. I understand that, but it's like you had 30 seconds there to set a play up and you know, you could have set a play up. Somebody texted and said they hadn't moved the ball all night. They made some big plays in the game. Like, Seattle played them really well, but at that point, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamal Adams was out of the game, too. Yeah. yeah. So you have their best defensive player out of the game for you to not only try and make a play to pass the ball, but to maybe get out of the pocket and score a first down yourself if you're Russell Wilson. From the 6-1-8. Guys, I got no problem with him kicking the field goal in that spot. Their kicker is a stud. How long is 61 yards really? He has the leg for it. Going for fourth down wasn't going to work because they hadn't m- moved the ball all night. I, I got to say this. Like, I I disagree with the decision in that spot to kick a field goal. I think that that is the wrong call. The bad decision, though, is not even kicking the field goal. That's fine. Whatever. Like, we can disagree on that, and that's just... 
it's percentage points there. I think you have a higher percentage chance to convert on fourth and five with your superstar quarterback than kicking a field goal that at this point last year would have been the longest in the history of football. But that's neither here nor there. The problem is calling the timeout. Because if you do not either convert on that fourth down that you go for or make the field goal, you now lose the game guaranteed. If you don't call that timeout in that spot, you now allow yourself the opportunity to, if you miss the field goal or don't convert, put your defense back onto the field and you've got three timeouts to stop the clock and force them to punt the ball back to you. And now you've got Russell Wilson to be able to potentially drive the length of the field. You at least give yourself a chance at the end of the game. That was the problem. The problem was the way that they managed the clock, not so much the way that they managed the game decision. Although I think they got both wrong. Somehow there was like option A, option B. Those were the two choices and they chose door number three <laughs> and it didn't go well. God. Coming up in 15 minutes, questions and answers. 65780 is the air covered service text line. But next, Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for the Athletic on a big news day for the Blues. They have officially re-signed Jordan Cairo to an eight-year extension worth $65 million. What does it mean for them long-term? What does it mean for Ryan O'Reilly's future? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The big news today is that Jordan Cairo has officially signed his eight-year deal worth $8.125 million. We knew this was coming. This was a matter of time. In fact, the president of hockey operations literally said this publicly after they re-signed Robert Thomas. He said... I'm I, I know that today we are doing this with Robert Thomas. The next one that we are going to be working on is Jordan Kyrie. You got both the horses in the stalls. And so you are two for two now. We'll see if there are any more to come. But the news again, Jordan Kyrie, eight years, eight point one two five million dollars. Cap friendly has tweeted out uh, the structure of the deal in year one. He's going to make nine million dollars. It goes to about eleven over the next couple of years. By year four, it is $8 million. This is just the cash, uh, what he's going to be getting. And then the last four years of the deal, it's $6.5 million. He does have a no-trade clause years three through seven and a 15-team no-trade list in year eight. Once again, no movement clause. No, Yeah, there is no no-movement clause in this deal for Jordan Cairo, at least not that has been reported. And you would assume that by now it would be reported if we knew as much. All right, we have Jeremy Rutherford in studio with us. He's the best Blues insider in the country. We appreciate him joining us. You can find his work, and I'm sure he will have great stuff on this over at The Athletic. Also on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. JR, other than just the, the overlay of what we now know with the extension, what are your big like top-line takeaways from the Blues getting this deal done with Jordan Kyber? Yeah, first of all, I want to apologize in advance for my voice. This is my Chris Collinsworth impression. <laughs> oh, good. But that's okay with you guys. <laughs> Been screaming a lot. You were screaming a lot at that Broncos-Seahawks game last night, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah at the Broncos there at the end. <laughs> What's going on? But no, uh, big news in Blues land today with the Kyber extension. Again, you touched on it. Uh, Doug Armstrong alluded to the fact that he wanted to get this done. Eventually, they get 
get it done before the start of the season. So there's nothing that's going to linger into the start of the season. You know, if Kyrie starts to get off to a shaky start and everybody wonders. So now this is all done. And Alex, you guys touched on it in the previous segment. A lot of max term deals. Look at these with Stutzel and Huberdeau and Robert Thomas and now Jordan Kyrou. Two of those in St. Louis, Doug Armstrong, getting contracts done once again a year in advance. A little bit of risk involved, but I think the numbers are there with these guys. We've seen it. They project to be really good players in the NHL, and it's worth the risk in the Blues' mind. Yeah, I think I just saw uh, Chris Johnston tweet this out. So there were eight different players this offseason that signed eight-year extensions with their team. Kairou, Stutzel, Huberto, Kachuk. Well, of course, that was his new team. Norris, Sergachev, Sorelli, Cernik. Thomas Nachushkin Forsberg. Jared, what happened to the entry are the uh, the bridge contracts? <laughs> like those have just gone by the wayside in the NHL. Yeah, around the NHL, there have been a, a lot of long-term deals. But you look at this situation in St. Louis with how Doug Armstrong handled both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. They did get those deals. They got the two years, $2.8 million. By the way, identical deals on their last yep. contract. Now identical deals on this contract. All the way down to the penny, $8.125 million. They're like the Sedin brothers. <laughs> they are. For both of these guys. And, and I think it makes sense because these two are the future of the franchise. And listen, you know, you wonder why a player like a Thomas or a Cairo might take this deal a year out, a year in advance. What if they go post the 100-point seasons like you guys touched on earlier? You know, I, do, I just don't know that it gets you that much more money. Like, you're at 8.125 now. Do you get $9 million if you have that 100-point season? Do you get $10 million? Maybe. But guess what you get if you get a concussion and you miss 62 games next year? So I, I think that the players are looking at it like, okay, I put up some numbers. I showed them what I'm capable of. 8.125 is a nice number for both of these guys. You get it done. Now you go out and relax and play. Jared, you said it there that, that these two guys are the, the face of the franchise. They are the core pieces moving forward. I guess my question to that is, is the identity shifting towards this now for Craig Berube? Because everyone associates Craig Berube as to that 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 rough, heavy-hitting, forechecking style of hockey. And the two faces of your fran- fan- franchise are, are fast, playmaking, a lot of skill, a lot of talent, not so much that 200-foot game style players. Yeah, it is his style, but that's because he knew that, that he could win with that style, with that roster. You know, I think uh, it's unjust sometimes when Craig Bruby gets labeled with being that type of coach. He, we've talked to him, we've had these conversations, you guys have had him on the station here, where he's talked to the fast lane and he said, listen, we're a good rush team. I'd like to be a rush team if we have the players, if the players can execute. Well, the Blues didn't have those type of players. Look, whenever we talk about stats, you talk about Robert Thomas, first guy to have 57 assists since who? Demetra, you haven't had an assist guy since 03, 04. That's sad. You know, when have <laughs> you had a guy like a Jordan Cairo who you know just pumps in 27 goals and 75 points mm-hmm. as a 24-year-old? They haven't had that. So he had to coach a certain way because of the style that they had to play. Uh, now they've got these types of guys. I just think that when Pre- Craig Bruby looks at these players and he teaches them how to play the game, all he's telling them to be is be responsible. I'm going to let you do your it's thing. Like compete, right? He mentions that a million different times. Yeah, play, play the D zone, and we've seen that improve with Robert Thomas. You need to see it with Jordan Cairo, but it's not a reason why you don't give a guy a long-term deal like this. Here's the way that I would be curious to hear your opinion on this. Um, what is the best case? What is the worst case? For this deal with Jordan Cairo in St. Louis. Well, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I heard your conversation and I think that uh, I remember the day that the Vladimir Tarasenko uh, trade or I'm sorry, signing happened uh, eight years, 60 million dollars. I go on the radio. We're talking about it. And I said, this is going to be a steal in seven <laughs> years. You're going to be paying seven point five million dollars for a guy who's going to be scoring 40 goals every single year. You know, the salary cap's going to go up, you know. 
Tarasenko is a tough comparison, right? Because he had the shoulder surgery, so it's different. But I think right now you're still obviously getting that value, uh, 7.5 last year, 7.5 this year for what he produced. You, you don't know what's going to happen with these contracts. But I, I agree with you that the the upside, the best case scenario for Kairou is he goes on and becomes this 40-goal scorer, perhaps an 80-point guy, maybe even more, and he does it, and the salary cap continues to rise, and you look at that 8.125, and you say, what a magical move by Doug Armstrong to get those two guys you know, locked up. I don't see Kairou falling off the face of the earth. I don't see him becoming uh, in year four, year five, year six, this 20-goal scorer who's not living up to you know, the contract that they're giving him. Uh, but I think if you're the Blues, this is how all GMs have to look at it, guys. This is the way I see it is if not Cairo, then who? Okay, you can save that $7.58 million and you can go out in free agency or you can make a trade and bring somebody else in, but you have a young, dynamic player that you've groomed and he's shown you that he's capable of doing it, so why not give it to him? Why not give it to him? And I, I think that's what the Blues uh, are doing here. So, BK, I don't see him taking a, a dive, uh, but you know these contracts are just so long that you can't predict what this is going to look like in year six, seven, eight. It's it's so funny how it works because Kyra gets this extension and- and in all reality, it does look like a steal when you think of how he played last season. But everyone's first thought is, well, now you're not going to keep Ryan O'Reilly on this roster. Yeah, I don't think this uh, has an effect on Ryan O'Reilly. Could be wrong. You know, I probably need to look at the numbers a little deeper in terms of uh, what next year looks like. But I always, and I've told you guys this before, but I remember, you know, early days of covering the team, you'd say, wow, look at the math. Well, guess what? Now it's not going to work out for <laughs> this guy. And then all of a sudden, Doug Armstrong and his wizardry, he, he would uh, move this guy, move that guy, and trade this guy. And all of a sudden, there's enough money for, for the, I look at the player. I think that they cherish what Ryan O'Reilly brings to the team. I think they know that even at, 32 years old, he's got a few years left that he can help this team. And I think Ryan O'Reilly's got a personality that he's always going to be wanting to do what's best for the team. He doesn't have to have that number one center designation. You know, he doesn't have to make $8 million like these guys. I think they'll find a way to make it work. Now, listen, people driving around say, hey, you said that about David Perron, too. I get it. You know, there were circumstances with Perron being a bit older. Also, Doug Armstrong, knowing that he had Thomas and knowing that he had Kyrou to sign, it didn't work out. They needed the defenseman. They re-signed Letty. I think Ryan O'Reilly is a different situation, and I think they do their best to work that out. Jeremy Rutherford in studio with us for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Athletic and on Twitter, at J.P. Rutherford. I guess follow up on that, Jr. If Let's go down the hypothetical scenario in which Ryan O'Reilly is back, and they decide to re-sign him, and he gets that deal done. It feels to me as if your team is kind of set or at least it feels that way right now uh for the foreseeable future you've got o'reilly shin booch sod kairu thomas those are kind of your core six forwards right now you go to the blue line you've got a core four in terms of your defensemen of falk krug pareko and letty and now you've also got your goalie re-signed long term in jordan bennington what do you think about that core I, I like it because I think that it gives you a strong foundation at each position. And, you know, we can talk about Jordan Bennington and what he went through last year. We'll see. Hey, let's get to camp and see if he can pick up where he left off in the playoffs. So, you know, some people might look at that core and question uh, the goaltending. But I like the group up front. I think uh, you have some wiggle room. you got Barbashev who's up this year. You've got a lot of uh, younger guys like Logan Brown signed to minimum deals. You see how they play. Uh, you know, you see if you want to keep them around. And then you look at that defense. I know some people are concerned about Letty getting four years. You know, that was done because 
Term-wise, they had to drive down the AAV to fit everybody in the cap, right? So they get him at $4 million. But you've got Letty, Pareko, Falk, and Krug. And while you ask people around the NHL, hey, name your top defensemen, name your your top groups, that group probably isn't going to get a lot of votes, but I think it's formidable. I think this is a group that can skate, move the puck. Krug can quarterback the power play. I, I think the game is about... Um, getting up the ice now, and this group helps you. Have I been on the uh, soap opera, you know, the soapbox here the past couple of years about needing a physical defenseman back there? Yeah, I think it would have helped. I think there are times when there are a lot of, you know, talented forwards on the other team just having their way in front of the net and uh, and scoring goals that probably didn't need to be allowed. But I think it's a situation where uh, the Blues have some guys who can skate, and uh, it, it is a lot of term for these guys. I think I added it up in my article today. Those four defensemen have 22 years of Oof. term combined between the four of them moving forward. Good God. <laughs> the bottom line is this. Doug Armstrong has made his bed with these long-term contracts, but I think if you asked him, he would like the fact that it's organized the way it is right now. JR, do you have another seven minutes or so with yeah, us? Yeah, for sure. Oh. We'll do some questions and answers on the other side. We've got JR in studio with us. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you have any Blues questions, the Jordan Cairo contract, Robert Thomas contract, O'Reilly related or otherwise, if you've got any Blues questions, get them in right now. we got the best Blues insider in the country in with us for another 10 minutes on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Next line for questions and answers. We've got Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues Insider, in with us for the next 10 minutes or so. So if you guys have any questions, get them in right now. Let's start with this from the 618. JR, do you see Jordan Cairo taking David Perot's spawn spot rather on the power play unit? Now that that is available. Yeah, I kind of alluded to that in my uh, article this morning. Look, after David Perron, he had the 11 goals, I think 26 points on the power play. His shot from the offside there uh, was just magnificent. They're not ranked second in the NHL last year on the power play. If not for David Perron, those are going to be huge shoes to fill. I think they're going to come at it with more of a balanced approach like they have the past. Look, I think they had about six guys with five power play goals or more last year. That's some real good balance for Steve Ott. So he's going to have some options. But I do think Kairou is one of the top candidates. Speaking of balance, JR, from the 314, how are they going to utilize these defensemen with eight guys, potentially nine, available at Craig Berube's use? Yeah, they do have eight or nine, but I'm just going to focus on the seven that I think will be here. And you, you look at the bottom three, Bortuzzo, uh, Mikula, Scandella, Perenovich, the bottom four. Um, you know, we know who the top four is, and I think you're going to get to camp, and they're probably going to have an idea of who they want to take a look at and who they want each guy with. Uh, but I think throughout the season injuries are going to play a part in this too is uh who's going to get a chance and who's going to run with it like if you're a scotty perinovich and you get in there and you start to show the flashes that we saw last year you know does he get some power play time you know i think he's a guy who could get into that third pair uh but i think you look at the top four uh i would guess that it's going to be letty and pareko uh, i would guess that it's going to be krug and falk we've seen so much of that pair uh, talking about Krug and Falk in the past, that I think that's how they'll start it out. And But I do think they're interchangeable. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 618. 
guys, with the Kairu signing, do you believe that Kairu, Thomas, and Buchnevich could be one of the most explosive lines in the NHL for the foreseeable future? Go ahead, Alex. I don't think they're playing each other. I don't think they'll be playing with each other. I think Tarasenko's in the spot that they're putting Kairou in, at least for this season, because that was... But after this year, though, for, I guess, the next five years after that? Yeah. Or six, eight years after that? Yeah, eight years. Yeah, I mean, I, I would... I think Pavel Buchnevich is the one that's going to have a breakout season this year, considering how good of a season he had this past season. Yeah, 30 goals last year, and it looks like he'd be a good player for the next couple of years. No, it's an interesting question because you don't expect Tarasenko to be back with the Blues after next season. You clear up some cap space. He likely moves on, and now Kairu is that guy. I think going into this season, we'll find out when they open camp on the 22nd. Do they want to reunite Buchnevich, Thomas, Tarasenko? That line had so much success last year. You know, because when I look at this roster, I say, gosh, especially these two guys, sign future of the franchise play them next to each other Thomas and Cairo it'd be great but I think you almost have to come back with Tarasenko on that line at least at the start of the season we know eight of the top nine who do you think is that ninth player in the top nine forward group yeah so you're looking at that third line so let's say it's a uh, Barbashev on the left side and it's Shen in the middle you know I kind of uh, stuck my neck out this morning and, and I said in the article uh, Logan Brown. The reason I say that is because Logan Brown. <laughs> Logan Brown. Top hey, five move of Doug Armstrong's career. Third best. Listen, and I know Alex is on that. Uh, I said last ten years. President of that fan club. Uh, but I say it for this reason. And I explained it. I said that you know right now you can't say neighbors. Like let the guy get into camp. Let him see what, what he looks like. Uh, let the team uh, see how he looks with those guys. But that would be a perfect spot to me for Jake Neighbors if he's up to the task to play with his landlord Braden Shen. Uh, <laughs> I think that could be a really good uh, line. But Logan Brown. Look, I don't see him on the fourth line you know I think BK you've touched on it his face-offs 39% so I, I think that they probably want more of an identity being physical on that fourth line that's not Logan Brown so I think you're looking at at guys like Walker who is physical even though he's not that big Achari uh, maybe a Clem Costin so to me uh, you look at that ninth spot I, I think you look, look at Logan Brown you look at Clem Costin from the 314, JR, assuming beyond this season that the Blues are able to lock up Ryan O'Reilly, Ivan Barbashev and Vladimir Tarasenko most likely are gone. Are those spots taken by Bull Duke and Neighbors? I think Neighbors for sure. I think he's ready to come in. And, and now we do know that he can go to the American Hockey League this year. He could not last year. He had right. to go back to junior hockey. So if they don't like what they're seeing, they can send him to the American Hockey League. But if we're looking a year down the road, I think Neighbors is going to be a part of that group. Bull Duke, I- I'm just not sure that we're going to see Bolduc in the lineup in the near future. I talked to uh, his coach for Quebec in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Patrick Waugh, this morning, and he said that he feels like he's got some time to grow a little bit more in the Junior Hockey League. Of course, which coach wouldn't say that, right? Hey, we wanted to come back to Junior Hockey League. Uh, But he's got a lot of skill. He really thinks that this guy is a top six guy in the NHL. At 19, I just don't see him fitting into an established offensive group like this. But two years down the road, three years down the road, for sure. JR, final question that I've got for you. What is the plan with Perunovic? <laughs> well, you know, we kind of touched on it with this defensive rotation. Look, if, if they're going to play Scandella, you know, they couldn't move him. So they're going to play him and they like him on the penalty kill. And I do give credit to him for that. That part of his game is, is pretty solid. Scandella, that is. Sc- who did I say? I, I was no, just making was, sure that yeah, we were Scandella. talking Scandella. Yeah, Scandella. Um, where are you going to fit him? And I'm not one of those types of guys where say you can't play Krug and Perinovich in the top six. Look, if they're your top six players, then you can play them both in the lineup. But to me, Scotty's got to get in there and grab it. He hasn't been able to stay healthy with the wrist, with uh, the shoulder, I believe, the year before. 
And then he showed us what he could do at the end of last season, but it was with seven defensemen and strictly power play work. If you're going to play in this league, you've got to make your mark 5-1-5. They've got to be able to rely on him. He can do it. I'm not saying he can't do it, but Prinovich has to get that opportunity, and then he has to say, look, you're not taking me out of the lineup. The matter of the fact, too, is Nico Mikola is making nearly $2 million on this team. I mean, I know Doug Armstrong kind of said it jokingly when free agency opened up and they signed Letty and he said, like, oh, that's the coach's problem to figure it out. But, I mean, you're potentially talking about having either a $3 million guy or a $2 million guy sitting on your bench. Or you're talking about Perunovic possibly starting the season in the minors once again. But he did everything he needed to do last year. There's really no point in doing that. Yeah, Alex, I, 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 I see that. I just don't think there's anything more he can do in the American Hockey League. I think he's got to play in the NHL. I think the Blues have a situation. Look, where you have to bring in depth. Doug Armstrong has to sign seven, eight, nine guys who can play the position. Remember a couple years ago when they did, just ran out of bodies. They had nobody. And, and so I think he he's doing the right thing here. And then you got a Scandella who, hey, if, if you want a veteran, who can play the PK, you put him in. If you want some physicality, you got Mikola. If Scott gets in, Perinovich, and, and he shows you that he can play, you know, most nights, you know, then you got him. And, you know, I just look at it like there's going to be injuries, right? So there could be an injury, knock on wood, to Tori Krug, Perinovich gets in there and runs with it. It's a long season. I think opportunity usually presents itself, and it's just going to be a matter of what guys like Mikula and Perinovich do with, do with it. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over at The Athletic. He has a great piece uh, up right now where you can read about the 10 biggest questions facing the Blues heading into the season. You can also find his news write-up about the Blues extending Jordan Cairo for the next eight years worth $8.125 million per year. Again, all of that over on The Athletic and on his Twitter account at JP Rutherford. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for stopping by the studio. We'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, sorry about the boy- voice, boys. No, you sound great. It sounded a lot worse last night. You sound <laughs> good today. It's got a little sexiness to it, JR. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the air covered service tax line. But next, the Blues made their contract extensions. Are the Cardinals are about are the Card- Cardinals about to make one of their own, maybe with another player by the name of Jordan. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of our conversation with Jeremy Rutherford, highly recommend checking it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Speaking of the 101 ESPN app, if you go over there right now, you can get your vote in on what the punishment should be this week for Tanner Hendrickson. He lost our pick'em challenge for the first week of the football Every season. One hour left. Alex was 3-0. and I was 3-0. and Tanner was not. So he is the one that will be punished. You've got three options this week. The beer mile, where he has to drink a beer, run a quarter mile, repeat until he's done with the full mile. Or option B, stand on the corner of Olive and 270 for an hour in a costume with a sign that says, quote, I suck at picks. Or option C, Push a football, slide the full length of the field at Kerry Davis' football practice while Kerry Davis yells at him. Those are your three options. You can find them on Twitter at 101ESPN or on the 101ESPN app. 
Alex, the Blues got their outstanding business done when it came to a contract extension. They decided to re-sign both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo to matching eight-year deals this offseason. I think the Cardinals might be getting ready to do something similar, not in terms of an eight-year contract, but extending one of their own, either in the not-too-distant future or potentially in the offseason. Here's Jordan Montgomery on the R2C2 podcast earlier this week. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm wanted here. They traded for a guy that's going to pitch in the, in the playoffs for them, and who knows, they might lock me down and want me long-term, or but they, they traded for a dog and somebody to get them through the playoffs, and it, it's, it's nice to feel wanted. Um, the fans are great here, nothing but encouraging. I've been told I'm the nicest baseball player they've ever met by a kid. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm signing autographs, and these kids are like, I want to buy your jersey and all this. I'm like, well, I've never had a jersey sold, so that'll be nice. Um, <laughs> if there's one thing I know, BK, we don't need a bunch of cats around here. We're looking for dogs. No meow going on in the locker room. I really like Jordan Montgomery. Like, I, You're if one you, of the nicest guys I've ever met. If you have any time to go back and listen to that full interview, I actually really would recommend it. I feel like you got to know a little bit more about the personality of Jordan Montgomery. I, I think Adam Wainwright was the one that said this on with Carriker and Smallman previously he said he reminds him so much of Michael Walker. Boy, does he. I mean, that that sounds like a statement that Michael Walker would have made when he was here in St. Louis. He clearly appreciates what it is like to play here. And man, in, in this market, there's value in that. Having a guy that just wants to pitch for your team. And I also think it really helps that he feels like he was done wrong by the New York Yankees. The team that he was drafted and developed uh, developed by. The team that he had a 3.9 ERA for over the last five years of his major league career. He was super productive in a Yankees uniform. Over the last couple of seasons, 3.7 ERA in about 270 innings. As a left-handed pitcher that's in the middle of the rotation starter, man, he signed up for that any day of the week. Montgomery has one year left of arbitration eligibility. He's making $6 million this year, so you expect that to be in the $10 to $12 million range probably. Would you start contract negotiations, either now or in the offseason, of a potential multi-year deal with Jordan Montgomery, Alex? Man, I, I feel like I'm sitting on the fence on this one because... I don't want to give extensions to pitchers because we have been bitten by that so many times here in St. Louis, and it just scares the bejesus out of me. But on the flip side of it, I mean, you talk about longevity. That seems to be Jordan Montgomery. Other than the year that he had the Tommy John surgery, you're talking about a guy who's gone 155 innings, 157, 158, and he's probably going to go north of that this season. Like, you know, he is the dog that he just talked about on the podcast. Like, he's going to give you close to 200 innings throughout a season. He's 29 years old. I think the only way I would consider an extension is max being three years. Like, I don't think I'm going above three years for this guy because it just makes me too nervous. And in all reality, that'd be buy out, what, one year of arbitration and two years of free agency. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you'd be locking down a guy up until 32 who projects as a number two in your rotation. So, yeah, I I think me going back and forth, I'd look at it, but I don't think I would go above three years. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider giving him a contract extension just to the point that you said because pitchers break. It, it's like buying a car. The moment you sign that contract, it just loses value because there's a chance that he breaks and then he's not the same guy for whether it be just one year of a three year deal or all three years of that contract. So I, I wouldn't. I would just play out the process. Plus, you've got plenty of pitching prospects that are down in the minors, and I understand the Cardinals have said that before, and it gave you Matthew Libertor. But you got guys that they're still excited on him: McGreevy, Graceffo, uh, Tink Hintz will be getting moved up a level next year. Like I would just play out the this process see what he looks like next year and if he's good again next year then maybe you try and just look at potentially okay where do our where are our kids at in the minor league system how much are they going to contribute to us in the next three years and then kind of go with okay now how does jordan montgomery factor into that but i would not give him a contract extension uh right now i would just play this thing out because he's definitely not a guy that here in st louis is going to be pitching to a 1.45 era the rest of his time here if he said I'm willing to take the Alex Wood deal, two years, $25 million. Does that change things for you? No. I think I, think I would do that. You wouldn't do a two-year deal? No. I, I would just go. So you're just out. I'm, just, going, I, I'm just going by year to year. Arbitration, give him his 10 to $12 million, whatever the process says, and then what we'll if, figure it out from there. What if you're able to trade away Jack Flaherty in the offseason to go get yourself does, a weapon somewhere else? I, 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 would not, I would not sign a pitcher to a contract extension. I would do that. Two years, I, 25. I would say you did your six years of club service, granted, Four and a half of those were in New York. And I'd go, okay, now we'll talk when you hit free agency. But otherwise, yeah, I'm not signing you anything. And honestly, I wouldn't even look at a free agent contract form. I Unless you just don't feel like the kids are going to be ready to contribute for two years probably. Or, and if Graceffo and McGreevy and Hintz take steps back uh, and Jerpy, I don't know how long it'll take for him to develop. But depending on how slow those guys develop, then I would determine Jordan Montgomery's fate. But yeah. if you think those guys can be in your rotation as a number four or five for you, I'm not going to pay Jordan Montgomery his – What's he going to get when he's the old market? $15, $16 million a year for three years? When was the last time a Cardinals prospect, though, paid off in terms of like being in the rotation consistently all season long? Jack. Say Jack Flaherty I, I mean, won. Even that. Yeah, early on, though, he, I your mean, boy, your, credit where it's due. You, you would say your boy Hudson. Damn but straight. But like, that's where that is fair. But that's where I'm going with this. Like time. All of these guys that were sitting here saying, like, oh, yeah, well, you got this guy coming up and this guy coming up. I, I don't know if I can trust that. And at least I know this guy who has had the Tommy John surgery already seems to be somebody who can stay consistently healthy. At least I know I'm getting so, – at my, the top of my rotation scares the hell out of me next season because I don't know with Jack – Wayno, you're not even sure if he's going to be back. And Miles Michaelis, he could be this good or he could be the Miles Michaelis before. I need so, somebody who's there. Yeah, but I, I don't think Montgomery's that this what we're seeing right now. You like, don't think he's pitching like a number two? He he is right now. He is I don't, right now, I don't, but I don't, I don't buy it for I, the long term. I think he's a number three. I think he's a mid middle the middle of the rotation starter. He can pitch like a number two because he's got the stuff to do it. He can pitch sometimes like a number four. I mean, we I was at the game when he pitched against the uh, Atlanta Braves and he just got rocked. I mean, they were hitting missiles throughout that. I think it was like the fourth inning where he just he got lit up, and that's going to happen sometimes because he does pitch occasionally to contact. And that's okay. Like, I've got no issues with that. If he is just simply for the Cardinals next year, forget what he's done for the Cardinals this year. If he is next year for the Cardinals, what he was this season for the Yankees, where he, in his first 21 games, had a 3.7 ERA. Every single one of us should think that that is a successful season for him next year because that's a really good year for a middle-of-the-rotation left-handed starter where you're making consistent starts, you're going about six innings per start regularly. That's what we were all hoping for from Steven Matz this year. And that's the other one that I wanted to ask you about. Like, I I think that this is the range that we are discussing. I think he is in the Steven Matz, Anthony DiSclefani, Alex Wood range. 
11 to 13 million dollars per season and somewhere in that two to four year range. And I don't know what he's going to be asking for. If he would be willing to take a two year deal and you just buy out next year's arbitration money and you add in one more year of a contract for him, I think I would be willing to do that going into the offseason because of what he's been for you already and how good I think he fits into that rotation and the certainty, Alex, that you mentioned that he provides. I would not go. I definitely am not doing four years with him. I don't think that you want to do that for another 30 plus year old starter. Three years is tough, man. I I don't think that I would do it, but I could understand if the Cardinals decided we got to do it. We got to give this to him because we think that it is the best way for us to lock in the certainty in our rotation. And in a worst case scenario, if we feel like our rotation is too loaded, we could always trade one of these guys from that rotation. I could understand that outlook, but I don't think any more than three years and 13 million is probably the top of the range that I would be willing to pay. I think knowing I think how, that would be a good deal for him. I think knowing how the Cardinals focus on defense and how Montgomery pitches, and we know lefties seem to have a lot of success at Bush Stadium, I think you're looking at not this level, but I think you're looking at better than what he was for the Yankees, at least for the next couple of years. Maybe. I, it's just so hard to predict, especially with left-handed pitchers. Um, and, and I don't want to understate what he was with the Yankees over the last couple of years. He was, I mean, one of the better, more productive left-handed starters in baseball. And he did that at Yankee stadium. And he did that with playing, a bad defense and playing against some really good offenses in the American league East. So I don't want to lose sight of the fact that he was 20% above league average there. If you just plopped that version of um, Jordan Montgomery here into the rotation for the next couple of years, man, I would sign up. If you told me right now you could sign this sheet of paper and Jordan Montgomery over the next two years will be a 20% above league average starter that averages six innings per start, man, where do I sign? I will take that in a heartbeat. I just don't know if that's for sure what he's going to be because there is, I, I think there is real risk in signing a guy like Jordan Montgomery when you don't have to, you have cost control over him for next season. That being said, I get it. I, I get why they would want to because he does seem to fit very well here in St. Louis. Yeah, and, and I think it makes sense if you're going to go on the Cardinals basis of it because of what you're saying because then you can just kind of get ahead of it, provide that certainty. But the pitchers, we see it all the time where they, they can be awesome for one year and then they are just broken for the next year. And I mean, as much as I, I hate to bring Jack Flaherty into this because it's a different conversation, but look at Jack Flaherty. I mean, Jack Flaherty was awesome for you. He heads into the 2021 season, and you see what he looks like, and then he deals with injuries, and he hasn't been the same guy since. And he's still working his way back from the second injury. It's early to kind of jump on that uh, bandwagon for Jack Actually, Flaherty. Actually, really good comp because Jack Flaherty in 2019, 196 innings. He was coming off of 150 the year prior. He's 23 years old. He looks like the future is all right at his fingertips. That's the future ace of the Cardinals. 2020 happens, weird year, pandemic season, has one bad blow up that bloated up the ERA, and then 2021, the injuries hit. So that that that's that is where that, some of that, that risk does. And that's lie. the concern I'd have. Even if it uh, look a two year deal, would I be more open to that? Yeah, I'd definitely be more open to. It. I still wouldn't do it because of you. You can just have him on the one year one year deal. If he deals with a bunch of injuries, there's no risk risk involved, and then he can just walk in free agency. Unless in that two year deal, you have to deal with whatever you're paying him in that salary, and you don't know what you're going to have. It's another wild card already thrown into a 
big mix of wild cards to Alex's point, what you're talking about in the rotation next season. My, my thing with Montgomery, though, is with with Flaherty. Flaherty would have been a guy that you'd want to sign to that contract extension, but because of how much it, the injuries can just derail a pitcher, and it's just one little thing. It's not like it's uh, a batter where it could be like, oh, he deals with a hamstring issue, and then he comes back, and he's still himself because it's easy to recover from. No, a pitcher, I mean, it can be just one small thing, like the shoulder issue for Jack Flaherty. Hasn't had any kind of surgery done to it. It hasn't been anything that you would look at and say, well, that that's definitely going to bother him long term. And it clearly has. It's clearly changed the trajectory of what you look at for a contract for Jack Flaherty and a guy that we're talking about as potentially being used as either A, trade bait next season because he's a free agent the year after and I can't see them doing a contract because of all the injuries, or B, a guy that just walks in free agency. Uh, Alex, I think you're the highest on this. Yeah. Would okay. you sign him to the the Stephen Matz deal? No, that the, the four five years, year, four, no, four years, forty-four. I wouldn't do that. Three no. years. I think three is my max with this one. I was just going to ask. I know it's the what if game, but what if he could be a Zach Wheeler? I, I don't think I, he I has don't think that. He has a Wheeler. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand. Like I said, that might be peak performance, but I mean, Wheeler was kind of around what Montgomery was with the Yankees, and then he went off when he got to the Phillies. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I do think that you have to take into account a that he's he's a righty and he's a power pitcher. Like that guy throws upper nineties and has just completely wipeout stuff. Even when he was uh, with the Mets, like you look at his twenty eighteen season, the strikeout stuff that he had there was just on a on a different level um, from what we've seen so far in Jordan Montgomery's career. And, and Montgomery is thirty years old, so I, I would be pretty shocked if that is who he became. But I don't think he needs to be that. Like for the deal that you're talking about, Alex, three years, $13 million per year. If he signed that and is simply the same guy that we saw in New York, that would be a successful deal. That, that would be a very good contract for the Cardinals. The question is, do you think that he can be that over the next three years? Because you're not signing him for what he has done. You're signing him for what he will do. And the projections on pitchers, to Tanner's point, are really difficult. I think I probably lean more towards your side, Alex, just because of that certainty. And we know every year they're looking for it in the rotation. And I feel like I know what Montgomery is going to be. And even at $13 million, I don't think that's going to cripple this team because of how much money they've got coming off of the books, either this offseason or going into next. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'll put this up on a poll on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. Would you be open to re-signing this offseason, Jordan Montgomery, to a three-year deal, let's say worth $40 million to make the money even, just over $13 million per season? We'll put that up on Twitter. We'll hear from you guys next for Better or Forget It here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget yeah. it guys bet it or forget it after last week's loss the Missouri Tigers will lose at least eight games this year man this is a very different <laughs> topic than what we had last have week have you seen some of the comments out of the press conference today with drink oh God, what I mean look it, it's coach speak of course but you're <laughs> he said he's like yeah the uh, the punt return hasn't gone the way that we've doing so we're gonna have to explore some other options because the one guy that you recruited who is the best at punt returning you have not used once Dr- <laughs> Somebody tweeted and said these press conferences aren't going well. I I can't believe this is. Your, Dave Matter just tweeted this. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. Let him drink. Go get him drink. Uh, 
Ooh, so here's here's a go to your happy tweet place, buddy. from Dave Matter. Drinkwood says that Missouri needs to find ways to get Luther the ball more often, but to limit his snaps. He played 65 snaps at Kansas State, and Drinkwood says that's about 20 more snaps than he should have played. Why are we limiting his snaps? Well, we want to ease him into the offense. You know, redshirt freshman, only our best player. You don't want him on the field. I, all thought the time. The whole, I thought the whole reason of you recruiting him was because he was a game-changing player. Is it is it fair for me to say Drink can recruit? But man, I don't know if he can coach. No, I don't think Drink can coach. I'm a little worried. What the? You know what comes next? Oh, it's fine. It's, 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 it's how 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 is that your takeaway from the game? It's his offensive coordinator. That's what's doing this. His takeaway is, ah, got to find a way to get Luther the ball more. But you know what? We played him too much in that game. What? What? It's like Ron Burgundy. 75% of the time, it works every time. Mizzou isn't making great choices on punt returns. They're going to have to look at the competition for the return job. There's no competition. You recruited the one dude. I told you this in the summer, man. You recruited the one dude. The day that Luther Burden signed the letter of intent, you say we are no longer having an open competition. It is his job. <laughs> that guy is our, our punt returner now. You know those questions I, yesterday about worrying Burden's going to go to the transfer portal? I think Burden's going to go to the transfer portal. Somewhere where he won't miss out on those 20 snaps. So the, the quote that drinks is probably drink is probably going to get killed for is he said, I have no reservations about what we're doing offensively or schematically like that. I don't care about that because of course that's what he's going to say. It's his offense. Like that's coach speak. These other two quotes though, about needing to limit Luther Burden snaps and potentially opening up the punt return job because they're quote, making bad choices on it. Uh, can they, to answer the question, bet it or forget yeah. it, they lose eight games this year. I, yes, I'm going to bet that. I still think they get to five wins, so I'm going to forget it. But, I mean, sure. Like, at this point, I couldn't be any further detached from this stupid football season. What do you think? Three wins? No, they're not beating Abilene I, Christian. <laughs> Two. They can't beat Appalachian. Did you see what just happened? Abilene Christian. If, if they lost. lose this weekend to Abilene lost. Christian, cancel the season. Lost. Like, just forfeit every game the rest of hey, the year. There's no so you know. Send him home. His bags are packed. He's got his airplane tickets. Bring him to the airport. Send him home. Send him home. <laughs> just send him home. 65780. <laughs> <laughs> send him home. Bird, go sit down. <laughs> for better to forget it. Guys, better to forget it. Ryan O'Reilly will sign an extension before the start of the blue season. I'm going to forget this one. I do think he still gets re-signed. I think they, I think they find a way to get him done. I think there's going to be some wheeling and dealing in the offseason next year to try and open up more cap space. I think cap friendly put this out next season as it stands now, which you expect the cap space to go up more than what it is now. But uh, I believe they have, I've got him at $9 million roughly 67.5 million next season with 13 contracts, six forward, six defensemen and one goaltender. Uh, it's going to be hard to get all that money figured out for 10 players. So yeah. I'm going to say that forget it this season, but I do still believe Ryan O'Reilly will be locked up. I've got him at about $75 million. That includes some fillers for guys. They, they, I've got roughly five, six million bucks for them to be able to spend, barring the cap going up more than expected. Say, I, I'm gonna That's for- before they make any moves like trade-wise. You say, I'm going to forget this. I 
if they don't get a deal done before you enter camp, I can't see them doing a deal in season. And then once he hits that, once you head into the offseason, we've talked about this multiple times. There's been big-time players that you didn't think were going to walk. Peron, Petrangelo. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anybody else I'm missing in that conversation. But there's been a handful of guys that have gone this route, didn't get the contract extension. You thought they'd get it knocked out in the offseason, and they don't. And they end up walking. And I, I think that's a legitimate possibility. So I'm going to forget this one. I don't think he gets a contract extension. I lean towards Tanner. I hope I'm wrong on this. Like, I, I want everybody to understand when we say what we think is going to happen versus what we want is going to happen, this is what I think is going to happen, not what I want to happen. But I'm in line with Tanner's thinking here. I think that the Blues have shown us a clear sign, a clear trend in the way that they handle players over the age of 30 when it comes to contract extensions. My projection right now would be that Ryan O'Reilly – and Vladimir Tarasenko are both gone going into next year. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. We will see Albert Pools hit 700 home runs at some point by the end of the year. Oh, bet it. This is simple. I wonder if it's by the end of the week. Wow. Like by the end of that Cincinnati Red series, I wonder. Saucy, huh? I just, I don't know how many left. I think they're not throwing a lefty in this Brewers series. Yeah, no, I don't. Well, other than the bullpen, bullpen game, game tonight, tonight, so they'll see somebody. That's but I don't know either. how many lefties you're going to get with Cincinnati, but with a doubleheader and then Albert Pujols bobblehead day. Yeah, I feel like it's going to happen before the end of the homestand. I'm going to bet that he gets to 700. I mean, he's only three away and he's got like three weeks to do it. So I'll bet that he does. It's gets one per to, week. By the I way. know. Thanks. Good, Good math. Thanks. I did bad math earlier today. I said it was 25% of something. It was 33. Bad day for me on the air. Um, I, <laughs> I got you, buddy. Thanks, I, man. I'll bet it. I think he gets 700. I don't know if he does it by the end of the week. I don't know if he'll get three home runs this week, but I do think he gets it within the three-week time period. Why, yeah. do, you hate, why do you hate Pujols, Timo? Must be why I hate Mizzou and why I don't think O'Reilly <laughs> I don't want to see here. a World Series win either. No, I voted for that. Uh, I'm with you guys. I think he gets it done. Three weeks, three home runs that are necessary. I I think this is going to happen. All year long, I said that there's no reason to have this on the back of your mind. This is not something that was going to take place. Just enjoy the ride. Allow this to be what it is, and that is to have a really nice player on your bench that can hit left-handed pitching. It's been so much more than that. It's been one of the greatest reunions that I can possibly imagine. You guys, the mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Sports, television, movies. What is the best rerun slash reunion that comes to mind for you? Because I think this Albert Pujols reunion is reaching into that territory. You cannot have a more full circle moment than what we are witnessing right now in St. Louis with Albert. I want to get your guys' thoughts on that on the mic drop feature. We'll do that coming up at 1 o'clock. What are your favorite reunions or reruns? And where does this Albert Pujols rerun rank for you? Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next... What are realistic expectations for Jordan Cairo now that he has signed his contract extension here in St. Louis? I'll get uh, I'll get Alex's thoughts. I was about to say JR's thoughts. Alex's sure, thoughts not? on that coming up next. Jared 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Do I think that Jordan Cairo has shown that he could have the ability to be a 40-goal scorer? In other words, can he find 13 more goals as he gets consistent in the game? Yeah, I think that's real possible. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, on with us a few weeks ago talking about, hey, does he think that eventually Jordan Cairo could produce like Patrick Kane did at some point in his career? Alex, I've got another player that is more localized that we could talk about in terms of a comparison for Jordan Cairo. Brett Hall. No, but it is here in in St. Louis. Gretzky. They go about things very differently. I mean, in terms of the way that they score, the way that they produce their points, they're almost polar opposites. One of them is more of a power forward. The other is obviously a speed and skill type of a guy. If you say Ivan Barbashev, then that means Kyra is going to be traded. When you look at back at Vladimir Tarasenko, his age 23 season, he scored 37 goals that year at 73 points. It was the start of a five-year run in which Vladimir Tarasenko every year had between 33 and 40 goals and had between 66 and 75 points on the season. Now, the points you would think will be higher for a guy like Jordan Cairo because he is a better distributor, uh, at least a more willing distributor than Vladimir Tarasenko was at that point in his career. If I told you today that the next five years of Jordan Cairo's career will look something similar to what that five-year run was for Vladimir Tarasenko. Again, obviously, they go about it differently, but Vladdy was at times a bit of a defensive liability. He was consistently putting up 30 to 40 goals per season. Is that what the expectations are in your mind for Jordan Cairo? Yeah, I, I mean, the guy that came to mind with Jordan Cairo after this past season was Alex Dabrinkit, and I think that's what the Blues are hoping he becomes, a guy... And honestly, I think he's kind of there already just without the 40 goal scoring season. I think he can get to be in 40 goals like Curb said at the beginning. But I mean, Alex Dabrinkit had two. I think you could argue that Jordan Cairo had a better year last year than Alex Dabrinkit. I think you can absolutely argue. The problem is people are, are see 41 goals and they say, oh, well, it's impossible to be better than that. I mean, he was up there among the top in the National Hockey League. Yeah. But that's who I think the Blues are viewing as the the comp for Jordan Cairo saying the Alex Dabrinkit is a small statured player who scores goals at an elite pace. That's what we think Jordan Cairo can be. But absolutely. Vladimir Tarasenko is a great one also because I mean, they're elite offensive creators in terms of entering the zone and snapping a shot off and creating offense. The difference between Vladdy and Cairo is uh, Cairo's a playmaker also. And Tarasenko can be a playmaker, but Jordan Cairo came up in the minor or junior hockeys as a centerman. So the guy knows how to pass the puck like Robert Thomas. I think you're looking at a guy who could hit 35 goals and 55 assists on a season, and you could see the first 90-point player in a really long time for the St. Louis Blues. But my comp for Cairo in terms of best-case scenario, I think you uh, you want the next five years to be like what Alex Dabrinkit's last five years have been. I think it's David Pasternak. If you're looking at what his future looks like here in St. Louis, I think the hope is that it's it's what David Pasternak was over the last six years for Boston. 35 to 40 goals per season on average was right around that point per game type of production. I think that's probably what most Blues fans would be looking for. And as much as here in St. Louis, we think of him as kind of being a responsible player. His defensive metrics don't bear that out. He's he is kind of like uh, Jordan Fresh had him at 11 percent. Yeah, he, he's not a very good defensive player, but he plays with very good defensive players. And so that makes him look a little bit better. He's lethal on the power play. So, again, they might go about it a little bit different. They come to their point total uh, in a different way. But I think that's probably what you're what you're looking for over the next eight years of yeah. of Jordan Cairo's career. Yeah, I think 
the hope is he gets to 40 goals because you haven't had the 40 goal score since Vladimir Tarasenko did it the one season. But I think you could be talking about a guy who could have more than that. Someone on the Air Comfort Service text on at 65780 made a great point. The huge thing about Jordan Cairo is that he got that production playing third line minutes. And now you're talking about a guy who's going to be playing top two line I mean, in all honesty, I'm starting Jordan Cairo this season with Ryan O'Reilly. And if that's the case, you expect a better season out of Ryan O'Reilly. If Jordan Cairo is this type of player, I don't think it's crazy to sit here and say that he could have a 90-point season this season with 35-plus goals and 50-plus assists. I think that should be where he's at. Like, that's that's who Jordan Cairo should be. That's who they always projected him to be. What you don't want to happen with him is what happens with Vladdy, where he disappears for a long stretch of time. But that's how it goes with goal scorers. Like, but David the, Perron, I know they're different. I know, I know, I know. But David Perron was that way. And David Perron is beloved in this in this audience because he was a great player for this team, man. And I know that the contract changes things the, because the, now the it's an ones 8 don't million. do it. But they do like a lot of guys go through scoring droughts. That's the way that it works with these goal scorers, man. Like Vladimir Tarasenko is an excellent goal scorer over the last, what, eight years now. There are very few guys that have scored more goals when healthy than Vladimir Tarasenko has in the NHL. He's probably a top five goal guy. I know that there's a caveat here of the win healthy, but that's an important part of this. When he's been healthy, he's probably top five in the league. And he is somebody that goes through slumps. The reason why we don't think of that with some of these other players that are not quite at the Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid level is is because we don't watch them night to night. And so we don't watch them daily go through some of these struggles where they are quiet for a four or five game stretch. That's just how it works, man. That, that, that's but it's how not all a of- four or five game stretch. It's the 10 plus game stretches. And Jordan Cairo can't be a goal scorer or bust player. You need him to be a part of the offense in all aspects. If if Kairou, if Kairou for 10 straight games is with a goose egg on the score sheet, something's wrong because this is a guy who should be involved in the offense. It's the same as Robert Thomas. Should be involved in the off offense. But it he feels never like did that last year either. Every single night. Who didn't? Kairou. Kairou never had a stretch like that last year. It might not have been 10 His games. His stretch was like three games in a row. Where the he second half, that he went on a stretch where he disappeared for a long period of time. And goal production-wise, but not when it came to his assist numbers. His assist numbers, he had almost every night in assist, man. There was one stretch in, like, late January and early February where it was in a 10-game stretch where he had four goals and no assists. But that's what you're building off of. The year prior was where he disappeared for some time, and you can't have that. Yeah. He was also 22 the year before. I get and, it, but and, that's why you're paying a guy after one year of production. You want to make sure that it continues that direction. And that's why these things are always risky. Yeah, I, I just think that if you're projecting, I don't know how I can say like he's going to revert back to what he was in 2021 when he played 14 minutes per night. I mean, that's that's third line, borderline fourth line type of minutes for some teams. And last year he got up to almost 17 minutes of ice time per game and he was one of the breakout players in the NHL. I, I don't think there was ever a stretch, though, last year where you felt like for a 10-game stretch, he he wasn't impacting offense. I mean, I felt like there was a stretch after the All-Star game where he disappeared for a little bit, and maybe that's because I was expecting more. I just felt like there was a stretch there after the All-Star game and break where I was thinking, boy, the Jordan Cairo we saw in the first chunk of the season has not reappeared yet. And then he did reappear down the stretch and into the postseason, but you you just got to make sure that that doesn't happen because now you are the guy that they look to for offense. It's what Ryan O'Reilly has been for the longest time of, like, you put guys on the fix it line 
Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas might become the new fix-it players for the Blues. In 15 minutes, we're talking about Max Kellerman's comments that have gotten a lot of attention here in St. Louis today. What a scrub. We'll talk about that coming up in 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, you like hot dogs, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I won't eat one before I potentially run a beer mile, but oh my yeah. God. Would you eat a cold dog? Would I eat a cold dog? Mm-hmm. No, that's disgusting. Dude, Oscar I'm- Mayer announced last week that they are going to be selling a hot dog flavored popsicle <laughs> in a handful of U.S. <laughs> cities. The popsicle also known as the cold dog, is being sold for $2 at frozen dessert companies across America, including New York City, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Long Beach. Oscar Mayer said in a press release uh, that it visibly resembles a hot dog topped with mustard and has a, quote, smoky flavor with notes of Oscar Mayer's iconic wiener. Hey. Hey, man. That's disgusting. Yeah, I, who, who wants that? Yes. Who wants that? <laughs> who came into a meeting and said, "Guys, I got it." We work with a man who endorses hot dogs more than anybody in this world. I have never once said to myself, "Never, not once." You know what I need? An ice cold version of a hot dog. This is like the people who created vegetable cereal. Like, really, really? You think this, people want this? What's worse, this or like the mac and cheese ice cream? That is now. Uh, I would. I would think. Oh boy, that, uh, this race. Nothing about a, nothing about a cold uh, hot dog I, sounds good. No, it doesn't sound good. But it's like popsicle. That sounds better than like mac and cheese ice cream. Though. No, you're essentially freezing a hot dog oh. and then licking it. Yeah, that's better. That's better than than mac and cheese ice cream. In my I know. Honestly, I would probably eat mac and cheese ice cream over a popsicle hot dog. I think I would too. That's and disgusting. both of them sound gross. Sounds like a me. punishment. There are certain flavors that just <laughs> don't need to be recreated in other things. Hot dogs can be standalone. Like it, it is okay to just have a hot dog. Not make it into hot dog flavored ice cream. I don't need like red hot ripplets flavored ice cream. I love red hot ripplets. I don't need the ice cream version of that. I don't need a popsicle version of just, that. Why do we I don't mix, need a beer flavor of that. Why do we mix? Dinner, lunch, with dessert. Well, They're some, two separate things. Some of them are okay. So, some of them I don't have an issue with. This or like mashed potato flavored ice cream. Don't uh, need that. Don't need that in my life. I'm good. Ketchup flavored potato oh. chips. So those are apparently popular. In Canada. In, in Canada. Yeah. yeah. I was unfamiliar with this until I started working with uh, Jamie. But see, it's not all. The Canadians don't have it all bad. Like poutine's fantastic. I'm a big Put fan. Put some mashed potatoes on some french fries. I'm in. Put a hot dog in a cooler. Have you ever eaten a cold hot dog? No. My Not gra- interested. My grandma used to make me eat them. Why? Like she would take them out of the fridge and be like, this is a good snack. 
and I ate them. Somebody on the text line said, hey, guys, just to let you know, I'm not interested in the icicle hot dog. However, I do like raw, cold hot dogs right out of the fridge. My dad eats them. Is that even my healthy for you? My dad eats them like that. They're well, yeah, pretty cooked. But, yeah. like, yeah, my dad eats them. So, it like, my grandma the, used to make oh, me eat them like that. Do they just, like, where they just pull just it out of the bag? Take them out and eat them. Oh, they're yeah. all, like, wet and... It's disgusting. But, Ugh. yeah, my dad eats them that way. God bless the man. I know kids do it. Like, you, you put a, a cold hot dog in front of maybe your daughter. No. Yeah, she would kids will eat about tear that thing to shreds. My, my daughter's all about texture. No, thank you. She ain't in on that. I'm not in on that. That's nasty. But I would still eat a mac and cheese ice cream over a ice cold hot dog. Somebody said we used to eat cold hot dogs in college. It's like a bologna sandwich. Yeah. And even I would never eat a frozen hot dog on a stick. Oh. Exactly. Someone says we need to make a punishment uh, to eat a no. hot dog popsicle. Mm-hmm. Nope. That's, that is a mayonnaise and ketchup and coffee. Yeah. Could do a hot dog. I would rather popsicle. do the. I would rather do the hot dog popsicle than my mayonnaise. Yeah, and my I think coffee. I might actually too. That would really? ruin. That would ruin coffee yeah. for me forever. No. You and your white nope. substances. You'll. Yeah, you and your white gooey substances, man. Coming you're out. Coming up in 15 minutes. No context <laughs> needed Don't for that. that ice cold frozen wiener, though. T. Our BK is out on that. What yeah. are the Cowboys going to do at quarterback? Apparently nothing. If you listen to the team, that Go seems Jerry. like a mistake to me. We'll get into it coming up at 1:15. But next. Max Kellerman, dude, you cannot make these kinds of comments when you clearly have no idea what you are talking about. We'll play the audio for you and react to it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I saw something on Twitter yesterday that... Go ahead and say it, man. Yeah, call it. Say it it's up. complete BS. We got I can't button. say the phrasing that I would like to use on the radio because I would like to keep our FCC um, it's cool, man. We got availability. Max Kellerman's a jackass for what he said yesterday about Albert Pujols. We're going to play the audio for you. This is via ESPN, and this is borderline slander. On Albert Pujols, and I want you to know the only reason I'm playing it for you is because I do think that it is important for you to understand the context of what the conversation is here. So here's Max Kellerman yesterday on This Just In on ESPN. By the way, it is amazing how Pujols, who was in steady decline for years, suddenly it's like he discovered the fountain of youth. I don't know how he's doing it. Oh my God, the bat speed, everything. He's killing the ball. Matter of fact, bartender, I'll have whatever he's having. I mean, this is unbelievable. He sure has turned back the clock. I just wonder if there was anything that could be pointed at. How, do, how does a player turn back the clock like this? I guess it's willpower in practice. <laughs> Listen, I think Max Kellerman is actually really talented. I think that he's one of the better boxing analysts in the country. As a studio host, as a radio host, you're not going to find many that are more skilled than Max Kellerman. He is so far out of his element on this that it is absurd. We all know what he's implying there. It ain't hard. He is doing it without saying it. He didn't go all the way, but he might as well have. And that's slander. Like what he's saying is that Albert Pools is getting help doing what he has done so far this year. Here's the problem, Alex. If he spent two seconds of talking to his research team at ESPN, which is like 150 people, 
he wouldn't have any issues figuring out what has changed for Albert this year. Albert Pujols is getting more opportunities against left-handed pitching. Albert Pujols has become a specialty type of a player. Over the last three full seasons that Albert has played in Major League Baseball, he had 11 home runs against lefties in 2019 in 165 plate appearances. He had 13 home runs last year against left-handed pitching in 146 plate appearances. And this year against left-handed pitching, he has 12 home runs in 116 plate appearances. Over the last two seasons, when, by the way, he has played for competent organizations for the first time in the last decade, He has been getting a higher percentage of his plate appearances against, say it with me, left-handed pitching. Why? Because that's what he's good at. He's good at hitting lefties right now. He is less good at hitting righties right now. So what do they do? They play him against lefties because that's a smart way to deploy a guy like Albert Pools. And oh, by the way, another portion of this, and this is the human element, is that he's playing in games that matter. If we know anything about Albert Pools, it's that this dude is the ultimate competitor. After he hit, what was it, 796 the other day in Pittsburgh, after the game, he didn't even want to talk about the fact that he hit 796. He wanted to talk about the fact that the Cardinals won, and they are on a path right now to potentially win this division and go on a run in the postseason. That's who Albert Pools has always been. He is the ultimate competitor. So playing in games last year for the Dodgers or this year for the Cardinals, yeah, of course, He's going to live up to the moment a little bit more because there were moments to be had. So when you add all of that up, no, this isn't because Albert's on the juice, which is a ridiculous thing to imply on a national talk show on ESPN. It's just absurd. It's because he's being deployed in a way that actually makes some sense. He's a specialty player that is being utilized in that way this year. Max Kellerman should be ashamed of himself, man, for even trying to imply something like this without having any of the facts at his disposal. Yeah, he needs to label himself more as a hot take artist rather than a, a talk show host because there was there was no reporting to that. He just basically threw that out there, and I think he was trying to get laughs out of it, and it wasn't funny because the— What's happening right now with Albert Pujols is the talk of baseball. I mean, we were talking about this before the show. Sirius XM Major League Baseball Radio is going to be carrying all of Albert Pujols' at-bats for the rest of the season, for the chase to 700. Like, By the way, I said 796. It was 696. My apologies. I was on a roll. Is for 796 <laughs> right now? This is fantastic. Like, uh, uh, to steal Andrew Marsh's word, like, Max, Max Kellerman is a dweeb. Like, that's what he is right now. Uh, What I don't understand with this is to just throw that out there and not not feel like there's going to be repercussions with this. Didn't we just see something for somebody who was just throwing things out there about Freddie Freeman and he had to redact that because a lawsuit came at him? I know I get labeled as the dude who would probably sue over everything. I hope somebody goes after Max Kellerman for those comments because it does nothing but hurt Albert Pujols' legacy. Maybe the fact that he's not playing under the massive contract that he was given to the Angels and felt like there was a lot of pressure on him and the fact that he went to L.A. and actually produced last season. And now he's playing somewhere where he doesn't have to be the superstar on a roster. Maybe that plays into the fact that the guy is actually performing well. Maybe the fact that he's actually enjoying himself this season for the first time in a long time. That's playing into what is being successful. Or maybe he's just a part of a competitive team that is not awful like the Angels. That's a part 
of him playing well. But to sit there and go on television and say, oh, yeah, maybe he's doing the juice. That's ridiculous. And Max Kellerman should, should, should be suspended for doing that. Well, I mean, from the 712, guys, you're more you're more of a hot take show than reporting as well. If we're going to go there, I... I, I think the whole idea of like the hot takes thing is just an absurd notion. Like, yeah, we give you we give you as opinions. That's that's what our job is. Our entire job is to give you our opinion on the news of the day. And we go to people like Katie Wu or Jeremy Rutherford or so on and so or forth. We actually go into the clubhouse and the locker yeah. rooms. And, and that's how we get our news. And if Max Kellerman had news on this, like if there was a player in any sport that he had information of. Uh, malpractice and there was something going on that was not above board, then sure, go ahead and report that. That's fine. I got no issues with that. If there's actually something, not specifically with Albert, but if there was something else taking place elsewhere, like he's a boxing guy, he has good good sources on the boxing side of things, he should report that. When you just imply something the way that he did, and it's as serious, especially in this sport, of an allegation as what he knows he did there, that's when I've got an issue with it. I don't have an issue. Like, if if Max Kellerman went on ESPN yesterday and said he doesn't care about Albert Pools hitting 700 home runs because he doesn't think that it's a big deal, cool. whatever. That's fine. I got no issues with that. That's an opinion, and you can have that. I, I think it's ridiculous, but who cares? Like, that's fine. Cool. The problem is not what Max Kellerman's opinion is on said subject. The problem is, okay, so here he's do, making an apology right now. I commented that he seemed to be hitting the ball much better than he has in a long time. Some, including Albert, inferred that my a curiosity as to how he was achieving this recent level of success. We don't have the audio on this, do we? We do. Let's go ahead and pull this up. Albert and the Cardinals organization coming up. Okay. Oh, well, come that was on, the end Max. of it. Damn. Max Kellerman's issuing an apology right now yeah. on ESPN. Because that what lawsuit was coming. Yeah, you know why? Because he's a fool. Because yeah. like he's an idiot. He said that other people inferred what he was implying. Oh, okay. No. No, dude. Like, you knew exactly what he you were doing. He put him in the same conversation as Barry Bonds. You knew what you were doing well, that when was you said that. the home run chase. But yeah, like, the, the, the two were connected. This is not hard. I, I just don't understand why this is the route that he decided to go down. But whatever. Um, that's that's where we're at with it and to give you some of the information on why this is actually taking place if you dig into the numbers for even a second it's because he's been really good against left-handed pitching and if you look at the production that he's had this year against lefties it's basically the same as it was last year against lefties and if you look at the volume statistic against lefties it's been the same each of the last three seasons in terms of his home run totals 11 home runs in 19 13 home runs in uh 21 and uh, 12 home runs this year against left-handed pitching He's just been really good. That's what he does. He crushes lefties. We knew that at the beginning. That has been exactly how it's played out so far. The difference this year is that he's in a better situation. Yeah, you guys know the deal. And he's not taking a thousand plus at bats against righties. Yeah, who could have seen that one coming? That that would be good for him. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Danny Mack, who actually knows a thing or two about the Cardinals. Excited to talk to him at 1:30. Coming up next, though, what in the world are the Cowboys going to do with their quarterback situation? That's here on 101 ESPN. What the. F- We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Coming up at 
1045. We're going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Combs next summer here on 101 ESPN. We've got an opportunity for you to do that every single day this week. You just stay tuned to 101 ESPN for your chance to win a pair of tickets to my favorite country artist, Luke Combs. You know all of us country artist enthusiasts like like country music yeah, we yeah. all don't sound like that pk i don't sound we like heard all we the all time, just don't assume that you sound like this when you listen to your alternative <laughs> music that's yeah, all right i can rock take a joke on, man <laughs> i'm gonna go see this alt rock band this weekend we'll give you that coming up in 15 minutes or so we will also give you the results of the punishment bum, bum, that bum. tanner will have to serve yeah. this week it's actually it is a closer close than vote. i thought 101 ESPN on Twitter. Go vote. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can vote. Let's get into some NFL quick hitters. Here's a question for you guys. Do you think that teams will reevaluate their preseason plan after seeing how many teams struggled (laughs) in their season opener? The starting quarterbacks who did not play in the preseason were a combined three and eight in week one of the regular season. Russell Wilson last night was the 11th quarterback to fit into that category. Uh, I don't, I think the teams that have brand new quarterbacks to new schemes should rethink their idea about preseason. Like the Broncos with Russell Wilson, you got a new quarterback on a new team with new roster and a new play calling and you don't play in a preseason game. Yeah. That's kind of a sign of disaster and why they looked like they didn't know what the heck was going on in the field. But I, I mean, there are some teams that don't use their starters in preseason that are fine with it. Like, I don't know. Did the Kansas city chiefs use a lot of Patrick Mahomes? So there are teams that use it and work. And I'm sure there are teams that don't use their quarterbacks and work. It's the ones where you have them in a brand new system with a new head coach or with a new quarterback that you're trying to get things figured out. Yeah. I kind of agree with you. If you got someone that's in there for the first time, whether it be an offensive lineman, wide receiver, defensive back, safety, whatever, First year in a new system, I think you play those people in the preseason, at least one game, just to get them kind of get through the cobwebs, go through the playbook, just kind of get somewhat familiar with it. But when you're like the Rams and most of those guys on that roster are familiar with the system, Stafford's second year in it, I don't mind resting guys because I don't want to see one of my starters get hurt. Like, for example, uh, I know that uh, Jamal Adams, for example, he got hurt in week one. I'd rather see Jamal Adams get hurt in week one rather than him getting hurt in the preseason when it doesn't matter. Absolutely. So I, I would much rather rest as many guys as possible. I don't think this is going to change anything for teams. I think they would always say, well, they sh- we should have came out and played better because they're still going through the reps at practice. I, I don't think this will change much. I think it matters when you have a new offensive line. I think it matters when you have a new quarterback. I think it matters when you have a new scheme. And for those teams that are dealing with something new that is a different element to their offense than previous years, I think doing the thing that you're going to be doing in the regular season, even if it's not at the same speed as it would be in the regular season, is helpful. I understand training camp has its purpose, and you can get a lot done in training camp. But they play preseason games for a reason, man. And they've got three of them. Most of the old school coaches have stuck with the way that they handle the preseason. Bill Belichick's still out here playing the preseason. Now, to be fair, I didn't play particularly well this week either, but... It's fine. Mac Jones had back spasms. You look at the Chiefs, for example, and I know people are going to say I'm saying this only because I'm a homer and I'm a Chiefs fan. No, it's because Andy Reid's a really good coach, and he thinks that the preseason matters for his starters. You don't have to throw him out there for the entire game. But get him a little bit of real in-game experience with one another, especially for that offensive line unit. That cohesion is real, man. And using that offensive line with your number one quarterback to get the timing down in an actual game, I do think it matters. So 
I don't think that these teams are going to rethink it. I think they're going to keep with what they've done because in the past, it has not looked quite this significant. There have also been fewer teams that have done this in the past. I wonder if it's something that as we move forward, uh, there's going to be some changes that take place with the way that they treat preseason. Next thing up, speaking of a team that looked awful in week number one, the heck are the Cowboys going to do at the quarterback position, Alex? Because according to the team, they are not making any moves whatsoever. They are pie in the sky, believing that in the next few weeks, they're going to get Dak Prescott back after he had surgery on his thumb. Yeah, they are. How about them Cowboys? Let's go. Meanwhile, the reporting yesterday seemed to indicate that it was going to be at least six weeks. And Adam Schefter said on Monday Night Football, he believes it will be at least eight weeks Hmm. before we see Dak Prescott back on the field. If you were the Cowboys, what are you doing with your quarterback situation? Cooper Rush, baby. We're rushing for a Super Bowl no with our guy. No anything, right? Yeah, why rush? Hey, as Elvis Presley once said, only fools rush in. And Jerry Jones says, you know what? Cooper Rush is going to be fine for us. And Dak Prescott's going to come out to those uh, trumpets that Edwin Diaz does in the fourth week of the season. I think what they need to do is they need to go get Jimmy G. But... It sure as heck seems like Jerry Jones is basically telling Dak Prescott, hey, you're going to be fine come week five. We need you back. You're getting four weeks off and then you're playing that game. And I heard them talk about it on Get Up this morning. That might be detrimental to Dak Prescott's career. And I know he got his contract, but this might be the end of Dak Prescott as the superstar we saw him as because they're just going to keep running him to the ground. Every time he's injured, it's like, no, we need you back. We need you back. Where they've been continuing to say that well, our system on offense is going to run through Ezekiel Elliott. Nope, is going to be getting Dak Prescott back and continuing to throw the ball. Let's say, I, I think what Elvis meant to say was only fools stick with Rush because sticking with Cooper Rush well, is just a disaster. Touche. So I, I like the idea of getting Jimmy G. He seems to make the most sense for the Dallas Cowboys. Go get him. I know he's probably a, if Dallas is saying what they're actually going to do, what they're saying, four-week fill-in, but that's fine. Then you have a quality backup quarterback. The problem for them is now I think they're being held ransom, essentially, and it's kind of the situation we talk about with the Cardinals. When you're in June, it's like, well, we need pitching. Well, yeah, but you're going to have to pay overpay to go get it. I think that's what the 49ers are doing. I think the 49ers, they wouldn't say it publicly. I think it's fair to have some concerns on Trey Lance, even though that was a rainy-soaked game in week one, but I think it's fair to have some concerns about what he's going to look like. There's a reason they decided to bring back Jimmy G on a restructured contract, so I think they believe Jimmy G may be a guy that still ends up starting for him. I think they want to hold on to him, and I think they basically told the Cowboys, you want him, you're going to have to really overpay for him. I would trade for Gardner Minshew. That would be my target. Four? Gardner Minshew with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's making $2.5 million, so they could work it in underneath the cap. It wouldn't be a big deal. They could probably give up some kind of a conditional draft pick to be able to acquire him. I don't think it would take a crazy amount in terms of the draft capital. That would be the guy that I would be looking to go out there and get. Otherwise, it, they're in a really tough spot. You made a really good comparison of the Cardinals at the deadline where everybody knew they needed pitching and it was just a matter of who they were going to be able to go out there and acquire and what the price was going to be. That's where the Cowboys are at. Everybody knows they need a quarterback and they need one that can come in right away and play for them. There's only like three or four of those guys that could potentially be available. Huntley is another one of those guys. Maybe Drew Locke. I don't think Drew Locke's very good. If you saw Ryan Clark. I was going to say Ryan Clark just threw that guy under. He's just on the sideline, man. Was he wrong? No, he no. was right. He, maybe he did that because he knew the Cowboys might have interest. <laughs> so if you didn't it see it first. last night after the game, uh, Ryan Clark was on ESPN with Scott Van Pelt. We have this audio. Here's what he did as he was circling Drew Locke on the sidelines. Here's what's very important about this play. I want y'all to look at this guy right here. That guy's Drew Locke. 
as long as Drew Locke is standing in that place because Geno Smith is playing very well, that's the best-case scenario for the Seattle Seahawks. How you going to do him that dirty? I was just saying he's doing a good job doing what now. he needs to be doing. Hold on. Was he on the field like in a shotgun formation? Like as a, uh, Was no. he lining no. up as a wide receiver no. for blocking purposes? He was standing purposes? on the sideline with a hat on and the clipboard in his hands. <laughs> that's dirty by right. By the way, Clark. people are saying the, card, or the Eagles are not going to trade Gardner Minshew to the Cowboys in the division. That's a terrible take. Listen, maybe not. But to back up a quarterback, we, we say, <laughs> the we Cowboys say, are in a bad spot either way. So come we on, save now. those terrible takes for Tanner. All right. Final thing here oh. as we finish our NFL <laughs> quick hitters for the first week of the NFL season was last night more about the Broncos not living up to the hype or the Seahawks potentially being better than all of us expected, Alex. I think it's more the Broncos not living up to the hype. It's the first game in a new system with a new quarterback and a new scheme. Like, do you think that will sustain though? Like big picture, not just looking at what happened last night, but big picture wise, what do you think last night says about it? Maybe that's a better way to frame it for the rest of the season. I don't, I don't know. I I mean, I think it says more. I think it does say that Geno Smith is not as bad of a quarterback as we were making him out to be. Like, I came into that game thinking Geno Smith was going to be awful. I called him a garbage can. Yeah, I mean, obviously he was not for a couple of the plays that he made. But, I mean, I think at the end of the season, Denver is going to be a much better team than that. So I think it says more about Seattle in terms of the expectations we had going into the game than it does Denver. Yeah, I think it says more about Seattle being better than we may have thought. And when I say that, I mean, it still means six wins. But... Geno Smith looked capable at quarterback. Rashad Penny looked awesome they in the still backfield. Have good wide yeah, receivers. Yeah, they've got decent wide. They got, not sorry, not decent. They got good wide receivers in Metcalf and uh, Lockett, and then that defense. That defense looked really good last night. I was really impressed by the defense, and they lost Jamal Adams. And what was it, the third quarter of that game? So, I think Seattle's going to be better than we think. I still don't think they're a playoff team, but they're, I don't think they're going to be a team where it was like Seattle free win on the schedule. No, you're going to have to go in there and you're going to have to earn it now. And, and I don't think it said much about Denver. I think that was going to be a weird game. Russ going back to Seattle for the first time. First time head coach clearly uh so (laughs) i I don't think you said much about denver i still think denver's in the playoff hunt in the afc i think they're in the playoff hunt i don't think they were they're what they were cracked up to be yeah i I don't think that denver is this like 13 win team that's gonna be a team in the afc west they could be they easily could be like the raiders and them i think are gonna be battling between those two and i agree i think the raiders looked better in week number one now denver's gonna look great next week they play houston the week after that maybe they'll look all right they play san francisco but this this team is not as good as I think some people were hyping them up to be. Jerry Judy looks looked really good last night. Corlin Sun looked like the guy that I saw last year. He he didn't look super impressive to me. Albert O is fine as a tight end. As much as people were talking about how many weapons they have, yeah. I actually think Seattle had better weapons last year for Russell Wilson than what this Denver Broncos team does. And their offensive line also doesn't look particularly good to me. So They've got a new coach, new quarterback, bunch of new guys trying to learn a new system. It's going to take time. I think next year they're going to be a heck of a lot better than they will be this year. Football teams can't be put together on the fly the way that a basketball team can. I think that's something that they're they're learning right now. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Combs next next summer. We will also give you the results of our punishment for T-Bone this week. But coming up next, Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we will give you the update 
In terms of the numbers on which punishment Tanner will be serving this week, we'll do that and give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Combs next summer. That's all coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Danny Mack, the Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. I want to start with Jordan Montgomery because earlier today, uh, we were talking about the potential of him being here long term in St. Louis. He was on a podcast over the weekend I don't know if you saw it and he kind of made mention briefly to the fact that hey maybe that's a long-term relationship that he would like to have as well do you think that's something that the Cardinals could explore this offseason I do I I I mean you look at the success that he's had here in St. Louis and it's hard not to notice the difference that he's made with this club and the difference in his career and sometimes you know, for the betterment of the individual, you got to step aside, put ego aside, and say, hey, this is a good place for me. Uh, they figured out something in me. They turned that key and unlocked it. And uh, and right now I'm having success, and this is where I need to be. So you look at what he's done with the Cardinals, seven starts and a you know record of 5-0 and and a one four five ERA. And I'll take it even further. Look at what Quintana's done with the Cardinals. 20 starts with the Pirates. He was 3-5 and five with an ERA near 4. Eight starts with St. Louis, two and one, two nine three. You know they they saw something in these guys, and they've unlocked it. And in Montgomery's case, to me, it's his usage of the fastball and belief in that pitch. And I'll say this on a personal level too. In talking with Jordan, he said, you know, it's one thing when you pitch in New York and you think you're going to spend your career there, and there is the weight of being a Yankee, and you come to St. Louis, and certainly you felt pressure because they traded for you, but. I go to the ballpark, it takes me eight minutes. Hmm. When I was going to Yankee Stadium, it took me an hour and a half. I mean, there's a quality of life here that's, uh, I, I think, beneficial for players, too. And that's why so many of these guys, when they retire, they, they stay around because it's a, a nice place to live, no doubt. Dan, speaking of Jose Quintana, has he changed your opinion on how the Cardinals could slash should use him towards the playoffs, maybe into the playoffs? Well, I think he's in your rotation. Um, now, it just depends on, I think, matchups and where he goes. But with Matt's coming back, he's in the bullpen. And I think that if you look at your top three starters in no particular order, he's a, he's in there. Um, now, Jack Flaherty, to me, hasn't done enough. Now, maybe that changes in his final few starts here in the regular season to be in that rotation. But um, right now, Jordan Montgomery's definitely taking the ball for, for one of those games, undoubtedly. Talking to Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. Dan, you're going to call history once again tomorrow, and you've done a whole lot of that this year with what Albert's been doing. Uh, you called the game where Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina tied the record for most starts by battery mates. Tomorrow they will break that record for the most starts. What do you think will stand longer, that record or Pools if he gets to 700? Uh, I think the battery mates, I, I don't think we're ever going to see that again. And for a lot of reasons, number one, just to be healthy enough to, to pitch that long or catch that long is truly incredible. Um, you know, like you look at the other day, Wainwright had a comebacker off his glove, easily could have hit his pitching hand. Over the weekend, Yachty takes a, a, a shot off the knee. Maybe it hits his throwing hand, and all of a sudden his season's done. You just don't know. Um, that health part of it and the fact that these guys were hungry enough to continue their playing careers with the kind of money that they made and, and to do it in the same city, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't think this will ever, ever be broken. It'll be a historic night at Bush Stadium. Uh, I was talking with Trey Wainwright today, uh, Adam's brother, and he said, you know, I'm looking at my 
my wall right now, and I've got Adam's scorecard from that Tony scorecard, actually, but given to Adam by Tony from 2007. And he said, I started tracking this and doing a spreadsheet. His brother did back when they were breaking the record in St. Louis. And he said, man, I wonder if this could be done. And we were just talking about it. You know, Wayno was gone all of 11, didn't pitch much in, I guess it was 18 or 19. He had the pandemic shortened season. And where would these numbers be if he was healthy? Uh, it just, it would be mind boggling. So I, I just don't see with free agency, the appetite to stick around the game because of the money that you're paid if you're elite. I, I just don't know we're ever going to see this again. I, I truly believe we'll never, ever see this this uh, this great record broken again, ever. Uh, I'm with you, Dan. And I mean, what an exciting game that's going to be tomorrow. you got Montgomery tonight. And, and as the season's winding down, you know, you got some games against Milwaukee, some games against Cincinnati. You wrap up the season against Pittsburgh. You do have that stretch of the road games that are going to be against some quality opponents. Dan, is there anything that, that you need to see or want to see from this team before the end of the regular season to to tell you what this team is? One would be Jack Flaherty. Uh, I want to see where he's at, give him a full run of this final month because he's got swing and miss stuff. This staff is not swing and miss. Um, and if he's right, and I didn't think he looked very good the other night, but if he's right, then that that is a good problem to have. And I think the other thing is Alec Burleson. I, I want to see him swing. And what kind of pop can he give me coming off the bench, potentially, or starting, who knows, but you've got a righty out there and you want lefties in in your lineup. I want to see what he can do. Um, But it's been such a great year, guys. I mean, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but Pujols 700, what we're going to see tomorrow, uh, the fact that Goldie might win the Triple Crown, your team is winning. Um, I'm not sure. I was talking to Joe Strom, who's been with our ticket department for well over 30 years, we were talking about the Maguire season of 98, and I said, you know, that was great, too. I mean, everybody would stop and watch, and it was worldwide watching him. Um, but I, I've never seen anything like this. And he said, oh, it's, it's not even close. The stars have aligned to have this kind of year. And starting tonight, on a Tuesday night in the middle of September, we're going to have well above 40,000 people there. Tonight, we're going to have close to 46, 47 tomorrow for the uh, record-breaking night. And then the crowds from here on out um, are just going to be enormous. I think the Cardinals are going to get close to 3.3 million fans when they thought it might be 2.8. So it's the the stars have aligned and and things have gone the right way. And and let's finish it off with a flourish because this has been so much fun to watch. Dan, final question that I've got for you. One other thing that I'm really curious about is what this outfield mix is going to look like down the stretch. How do you think that's going to come together? I have to imagine this is just something that they're kind of figuring out on the fly as well. But what do you think the the playing time will look like down the stretch for the outfield? Well, Burleson is part of that. Now you can get you you know unique with the DH and and keep him in there. But if there's somebody that you want to DH and he's a the odd man out, then he's got to make a start in the outfield. I, I mean, I look at O'Neill being in there every day, whether it's in center or in left. Um, and the way Corey Dickerson has swung the bat, certainly you want to keep him in there, especially against righties. So I think you do what Ollie's done the entire year, and I think he's done a hell of a job managing the DH, the pool situation, how to get guys rest, how to keep guys sharp. Um, and I just look at the matchups. Um, now, Albert has complicated that a little bit because hmm. now he's hitting right-handers. So I don't know about you guys. I don't care who's on the mound. I want to see the man hit, and I don't care if it's a right-hander. I don't care if it's Corbin Burns tomorrow. I want to see him in the lineup, and I think the Cardinals are getting that way too to where 
you know what, he's swinging the bat so well, you, you keep him in there. And so that complicates what you do with your outfield. But, you know, Ollie's done a really good job of manipulating the right matchups trying to keep guys sharp, and I'm, I'm you know, certain he'll do that down the stretch. I'm totally with you. I think I'm the president of the Ollie Marmol fan club. Dan, do you think he's got a chance to win National League Manager of the Year this year? Oh, yeah, and I was going to bring that up tonight. Um, I, I think managing a superstar, Tony LaRusso talked about this in their final year, is, is probably the hardest thing to do because you're trying to do right by the player. You're trying to do right by the fans. Ultimately, this is entertainment, and ultimately in his job it's to win games. But he's trying to keep all that in the proper respect of, of winning games, but yet, you know, adhering to what people want to see and make it entertaining. I, I just think he's done a great job. He's got tremendous relationships with the veterans on this team, with the young guys on this team. And I think by him being as frank and honest and open, it, it ends a lot of any of that scuttlebutt of, manip, you know, of, of things that could be out there hanging out there. Oh, is this thing going bad? Or why did he do this? Why did he do that? You really don't hear that because he's been able to keep a lot of that stuff in-house, and he does a very good job of having an open, honest dialogue with his players. And when you do that, you win. Players want honesty. That's what they want, good, bad, and different. And he'll give it to you whether you want to hear it or not. Get out to the ballpark. Be watching, if you're not, on Bally Sports Midwest as we continue to watch Albert Pujols chase history. And tomorrow night, watch Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina make history. Cardinals versus the Brewers tonight at 645. We'll be watching Danny Mack on the call for Bally Sports Midwest. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, guys. Thanks. Absolutely. That's Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. Coming up on the other side, we'll give you a pair of tickets or give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Combs next summer in concert. We will also announce what T-Bone's punishment is going to be this week for the Pick'em Challenge. It's all coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner is ready, fully prepared. I'm the results ready. are in. By the way, someone six one eight just said, "Let's not forget, Tanner's got underwear to eat too soon because of the Paul Goldschmidt not hitting oh, leadoff." Oh yeah. Well, you might be eating underwear while you're doing a beer mile. That's, that's an additional. Oh, oh, that's the other punishment. All right. So we'll, we'll deep fry it for you. We asked you, the Aus, uh, audience, the Aussies, the audience, well, what Aussies Tanner's punishment should be. For his loss in week one of the BK and Ferrario football pick'em challenge, Alex went 3-0. I went 3-0. Tanner went 2-1. He trusted that crazy, crazy Minus kid. 20. He trusted Alabama over oh, the weekend. On. Can you believe that? Minus 20 <laughs> spreads don't happen, T-Bone. His options were the beer mile, where he has to drink a beer, run a quarter mile, and repeat that until he's finished with a full mile. Hmm. Stand on the corner of Olive and 270 for an hour in a costume with the sign that says, I suck at picks. Clearly or I do. push a football sled the full length of the field as Kerry Davis yells at him. Frankly, I liked that one. In third place, with 26% of the vote, Pushing the football sled. Oh. You will not be pushing a football Man, sled I, this I thought week. that was going to do so much better. The Kerry Davis yelling at Tanner. Oh, I thought that would have been perfect. In second place. 
with 34% of the vote. Oh. Are all the votes tallied? Yeah. Standing on the corner of Olive and 270. Oh. So, our winner this week, Tanner, will be running the beer yes. mile where he crushes a beer, runs a quarter mile, repeats it up until he is finished with the full mile. We will, of course. B-double-E-double-R-U-N. Beer run. It's a song about beer run. B-double-E-double-R-U-N. Beer run. This is like when Ryder found the Elephant Man sound. <laughs> Way to go, man. <laughs> Careful with that. Don't Google that, kids. Yeah, no, uh, The please. beer mile is going to be complete this week. We will be sure to capture <sighs> as much of this as possible we'll Facebook on film. <laughs> we'll Facebook Live it. You can Facebook Live it. I'll make sure to capture it on video as well I so we can capture it for posterity. Cue the T-Bone. <laughs> I am so incredibly oh. excited. Right, Tanner, so how are you feeling? To, I need to go run tonight. how I'm feeling. Just <laughs> yeah. at least build back <laughs> yeah, up some it's not going to help, man. It's not going to yeah. help. How do, how do you train for this? Because I, I nailed the first part of the training uh, last night and had a couple of brewskis. How are you on vomiting? Uh, not very good. I, if I'm hey, if you think that's gonna happen, I'm gonna make sure to get you with it. I think that he <laughs> needs to chug them. I think it needs to be shotgunned. Oh yeah, no, he has to shotgun beers. Okay, this isn't like you Just get to sure sip your beer. Page. I got time. I don't I have time, plan- man. I wasn't planning on sipping. I was planning on yeah, chugging. No, you're, so that's no, fine. You're shotgunning. Now my speed will definitely slow down like immediately no, after. Doesn't but matter. That's fine. We're man. not going for a world record here. I, th- I think I might bring my girls out to watch this just uh, to this witness history. Uh, we will do this after the show so you're at some point this week. You want your girls to basically be like, I saw Albert Pools in his final year, <laughs> and I saw T-Bone run his it's only be, beer mile. It's going to be a teaching lesson. Kids don't drink and run. This is the first of 18 punishments that will be concluded this season. Every single week, we've got punishments that will be had based on who loses that week's picks. Uh this is the first one, and Tanner is lucky number one. You could be lucky number one hundred and one at six five seven eight zero. If you on the Air Comfort Service text line, if you are texter number one hundred and one, and you can tell us what kind of food is being made into a popsicle, we mentioned this earlier today in the juncture. If you are listening, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you can mention which kind Man, of food is run. being made into a popsicle, both. and you were texture number 101 <laughs> on the Air Comfort Service text line to 65780, <laughs> you will win a pair of tickets to see Luke Combs at Bush Stadium on June 17th of next year. Tickets on sale on Friday at 10 a.m. Or you can just listen to 101 ESPN all week this week for your chance to win. By the way, I'm going to put the four beers in my car now so they can just like sit in the heat for a couple of I days. I saw the te- one of the texters send that. I'm disappointed in the audience. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly their favorite of the three. Of no, you're not. And yet they don't want to see BK Beta Boy suffer running a beer mile. He runs all Ferrario the time. trying to push a football sled. I can do that's that. ridiculous. I'm very athletic. I can do that. I think this is what I was hoping for. I, knew I was hoping, hoping for the beer mile. Uh, I kind of wanted the costume on 270 and Alex. I wanted to see him dress up like a garden. I think I want to see Alex do that one. That's the one that I want to see Alex hey, do because I'm it's, happy to it's do that public one. punishment. I'm happy to do that one because all the people are going to do are honk at me, and the I'm wor- good with that. The worst part about this one is the fact of the matter. It's going to be scorching hot, and we're probably doing this on Friday in the afternoon. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Friday's good because my wife doesn't work, so she's got oh, the so girls. Friday so, it is? Oh, yeah, are we doing this on Friday? I think it's Friday. I was figuring we'd do it Friday. I think it's Friday. Get it done and out of the way. All right. You mean I'll make done sure and out of the way? You already made your picks for the next week. You're going to have a miserable weekend again. Are you good with, yeah. uh, are, are you good with some kind of light beer? Yeah, I oh. don't want like an IPA. Oh no, yeah, we need heavy. We need heavy <laughs> dark. Narrow gauge. Yeah. <laughs> we need heavy dark runs. beer. <laughs> Eight percenters. And oh. and someone said like we we really should make sure that there's a limit on the mile. 
Like you don't get to walk this mile. You're oh, running. I'm not, not going to oh, walk no, it. I'm going to run it. Effort. I'll, I'll yeah. run it. But okay, because if you there's if no you don't... guarantee that a it looks pretty or b that it doesn't look like I'm going to oh, look like death. I can oh, promise you, I, it's not going to look pretty. I hope it doesn't look pretty. <laughs> oh God. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Jordan Montgomery on the bounce tonight. Looking forward to watching that. We'll talk to you guys about some history tomorrow here on 101 ESPN. B double E double R U N Bear Run. B double E double R U N Bear Run. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.